0: John? What? Your thoughts?
1: (laughs) On Battle or the show? On the show overall. Okay. That's where we are. I kind of blanked a little bit. Um, (laughs) What's new?
0: Hello everyone, and welcome to Let's Go to the Ring, where we take a look at the good old days and not-so-good old days of World Championship Wrestling, series by series. I'm your host, Bob Moore, and I'm joined by tonight's unquestionably randomly drawn podcasting tag team, Alec Pridgeon, Unquestionably, and John Mullins. Random. What a totally unexpected team-up. Who would have guessed it? <laughs> not me. Tonight, we're going to take a look at Starcade 92 Battle Bowl, the Lethal Lottery
1: 2. The new batch. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Electric Boogaloo. There you go. You have to say that after 2. Yeah, yeah. It's mm. kind that's of your the rule.
1: Yep,
0: I'm sorry. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get started, though, we've got two world titles on this show. Yeah. We've got the NWA title, represented by the wonderful big gold belt. And the WCW title, represented by, well, you know, another belt. It's fine, but it's no big gold belt. No. No. And it's pronounced Noir. Oh, is it? (laughs) Yes. Anyway, what's going on here? I'll tell you. All right. Oh, (laughs) Oh, good. Well, when Jim Crockett Promotions became WCW back in 1988, it stayed part of the National Wrestling Alliance, the NWA, or the Noir. (laughs) But it started to phase out the use of the NWA name and logo over the years following, preferring to establish its own brand. Eventually, WCW stopped calling the championship represented by the big gold belt the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Instead, it was the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Mm -hmm. It was basically just a naming change, though. The WCW champ was the NWA champ. Yes, They shared their lineage. They shared it, that is, until Ric Flair was fired by Jim Hurd in mid-1991, while Flair was still the champion. Flair had put up a $25,000 bond while he had the belt. As WCW didn't return his $25,000, Flair took the big gold belt with him when he left and took it with him to the WWF, leading to some really amazing footage of WWF announcer Bobby Heenan promoting Flair's WWF arrival by showing off the Big Gold Belt on WWF television. Lawsuits followed. Naturally. (laughs) The Big Gold Belt itself eventually made its way back to WCW. More to the point, though, while WCW could just strip Ric Flair of the WCW title and did so, the NWA Board of Directors had to be reconvened to strip Ric Flair of the NWA title. So, while WCW established a new WCW champion, Lex Luger, in July of 1991, he was not also the NWA champion. The title lineages were no longer the same. It wasn't until September of 1991 that Flair was finally stripped of the NWA title, and after that, the NWA title lay dormant for a full year. In 1992, the NWA finally authorized WCW and New Japan Pro Wrestling to hold a tournament to crown a new NWA champion. But now, the NWA championship would be separate from the WCW championship. So, we've got two world titles on one show, one for WCW itself, and one for the organization to which WCW still, at this point,
2: belongs. It's not confusing at all. Not one bit. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to know what bureaucracy looks like and why it takes so long took till September to for a title it seems quite a long time to deal with that
0: my understanding of it is that it's because WCW is basically all that remains of an active NWA at this point Mm. several of the board members promotions had gone out of business so they literally had to get back in contact with them and say hey you guys need to get back together and reconvene so we can strip this guy of the title I think the date's significant because I think that's when Flair first actually shows up or first actually signs with the WWF. Hmm. So that's when they're like, oh, right, we really do have to get this done. I think they could mail their choice in or do a phone call or a conference call You would like... think so. I don't know if it's maybe that they don't even know that maybe they don't even actually have a board at that point. I'm not sure. But hmm. yeah, there's something that it's more than them just saying, oh, no, we don't want to come in yet. Do we know what happened to the 25,000? I don't. I would assume that when Flair sent it back, they probably sent that to him. I don't know. COD.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's probably that or Vintage Man gave him that money to deal with the lawsuit and to sort of make Flair happy. Yeah, probably. One of the two, probably, yeah.
1: Any press is good press. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Never mind the whole idea that New Japan has a tournament, which they held yearly anyways, the G1 Climax tournament. And like, oh yeah, for the NWA title. Yeah. For some reason really weird.
0: Starrcade 1992 was held on December 28th, 1992 at the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia, in front of 8,000 fans, with about 100,000 pay-per-view buys. If you don't count Starcade 1987, the first attempt at pay-per-view when the WWF decided to schedule Survivor Series the same night, as you'll recall, mm-hmm. this is the lowest number of pay-per-view buys for a Starcade yet. Oof. The lowest before this were 1988 and 1991, with 140000 each. Well, yeah, I wasn't too thrilled about watching another Battle Bowl show either.
2: <laughs> on the bright side, they're saying new records. Let <laughs> put a Pops Spin on it, you know? Sure, sure. Mm-hmm.
3: Tonight, it's the 10th Annual Star Featuring Battle Bowl. Beginning in 1983, Starcade has earned the reputation of being wrestling's premier event. The sport's biggest stars have competed in this annual spectacular over the past decade. And tonight, the tradition continues championships will be on the line, including a showdown for the WCW World's Heavyweight title, when former Florida State University football All-American Ron Simmons faces his top contender and current United States champion ravishing Rick Rude. It'll be the champion's power versus the challenger's devastating Rude awakening. Ricky the Dragon, steamboat and Shane Douglas put their unified World Tag Team championship up against the new combination of Barry Windham and flying Brian Pillman. And the champion have revenge on their mind. For the first time in wrestling's history, the NWA title will be decided between two Japanese athletes on American soil. It'll be the master of the STF and current champion, Masa Chono, versus the high-flying Great Buddha. Sting and Big Bang Boater are on a collision course tonight to determine the first King of Cable champion. Can Sting, last year's Battle Bowl winner and WCW's most popular athlete, derail the 450-pound monster? from the Rocky Mountains? Plus, Sting will also attempt to win his second Battle Bowl championship ring. When, via the random lethal lottery drawing, eight teams will be formed to compete in the tag team portion of Battle Bowl. The winning four teams, eight men, will advance to tonight's Battle Bowl Battle Royal Finale, where it's every man for himself who will wear this year's championship ring. Find out next during the 10th annual game 92, featuring Battle Ball. And now let's go ringside with Jim Ross and Jesse the Body Ventura!
0: The show opens with a video package going over the history of Starcade and then the storylines for some of tonight's main matches. We're told that it's the tenth annual Starcade ninety two. I wonder what happened at the first nine Starcade ninety twos.
2: They're a very interesting shows. We already cover those ones? No,
0: no, I guess not. We we're covering Starcade, not oh, Starcade ninety two. That's, that's true. That's, it's a separate series. Fair (laughs) point. It's a good year. Several times. (laughs) It's a time loop. That's what it is. That's what it is. Okay. We also have kind of a neat tribute to the former Starcades with each of the titles flashing on the screen. Or it would be nice if Starcades 88 and 89 weren't skipped. Somehow they missed those. I don't know. Did the person doing the video package just hate those
2: shows? There's definitely other ones I would skip instead of those. Yeah,
0: no, those, those were okay, I thought.
2: 84 probably.
0: Yeah, and last year's.
2: (laughs) Oh yeah, goes without saying.
0: The package goes over what's on the line tonight. As it covers the Unified Tag Team Championships match, we see the pictures of the teams involved. But Barry Windham and Brian Pillman's names are switched. So whoever's doing this video package doesn't know who these wrestlers are.
2: (laughs) Yeah, some poor (laughs) AV guy's like, oh fine, I'll crank it out at 3 a.m., whatever.
0: (laughs) And finally we get a... Kind of cool little CG animation representing the crafting of the ring given to the winner of Battle Bowl. Wait. What ring given to the winner of Battle Bowl?
2: Yeah, I missed that last year. Yeah,
0: yeah. We'll we'll get to that in a minute. The ring was invisible. Oh, there you go. Just like the one. Rather than turning you (laughs) invisible, it turns itself invisible? Yes. Oh, okay. There you go. (laughs)
1: self-aware.
2: I also didn't realize that you've crafted gemstones in a ring by just pouring gold into a mold and just... Diamond like, form around them, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's how it works. You
1: pour it over the diamond, obviously, so it's a good fit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I can't
0: disprove that. As the package closes, Jr. welcomes us to the show alongside a new announcer, former wrestler Jesse the Body Ventura. Jesse has a cool jacket with lots of fringe and a Malcolm X hat that I mistook for a D-Generation X hat before I realized that we were five years too early for that and in the wrong company.
2: <laughs> I thought he was ten. no he's just a big ty dillinger fan
0: oh okay jesse is excited to be announcing for starcade jr throws to eric bischoff for a wcw special report Thanks, Jim. And it has been confirmed. Ravishing
2: Rick Rude has suffered a herniated disc, and doctors confirmed that he is going to be out for a minimum of five to seven weeks and will not be able to face Ron Simmons. Now, in a related statement, the WCW board of directors have announced that Dr. Death Steve Williams will challenge Ron Simmons for that WCW World's Heavyweight Championship tonight at Starcade 92. I'm Eric Bischoff for the WCW Magazine. Back to you, Jim.
0: I noticed that they were able to convene the WCW board of directors fast enough to deal with this situation.
2: Are they the same people? No,
0: presumably they're different, I guess. It's probably mm. Turner folks for WCW.
4: Mm, that's <laughs> true.
0: This video, set in what looks like a production room, is clearly not live. So, I'm not sure why, since we clearly knew before the show that Rick Rude wasn't going to be in his title match, they didn't update the opening video package to, you know, avoid mentioning Rick Rude as well. That's a little bit strange.
2: I have a little more on that, by the way. I only have access to WCW Saturday Night to reference for these shows that in Wikipedia. So I watched the summer 26th episode. Rick Rude wrestles on that show against Eric Watt. So, he's so good. And they have no mention that he's going to be absent. Weird. Now, just to be clear, WCW Saturday Night is pre-taped. Yeah. So he didn't literally wrestle that day, and somehow in the two days between he injured. Hmm. I don't know. They must have really thought he'd get better.
0: Yeah, must be a case where they think he's going to recover up
1: until, you know, maybe the day of. I don't know. They go to the doctor and they see it's worse.
0: Yeah, but it's just strange that they can't update the opening video package when they can clearly do some pre-taped
1: thing with Eric here. Well, that costs money.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Eric sounded much less fakie this time, at least. He sounds much more legit doing his kind of like reporter mm-hmm. reading there.
2: Well, he's good in small doses, so I'm sure it'll stay that way. (laughs) I think it's the wall of TVs back there that gives him some...
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it feels very official. (laughs) Yeah. In other bad news, Rick Rude has shaved his mustache. The loss for us all. So now he's just Rude. (laughs) JR and Jesse react to the announcement. They're happy for Dr. Death, but Jesse sympathizes with Rude. This was the biggest day of his life, and now he's not going to be allowed to wrestle. JR says that everyone is ready for Battle Bowl and we get a picture-in-picture shot of the two locker rooms. Seeing Jushin Liger just kind of chilling out in a chair in full costume is oddly funny to me. It's like you've got just a bunch of normal people there and then just like, you picture Batman just chilling out in a chair in a Mm -hmm. normal athletic locker room.
2: (laughs) It's oddly less distracting than seeing Scott Hall just sitting there for me last year.
0: Yeah. JR throws to Tony Schiavone who's standing by in the ring with current head of WCW, Bill Watts, and baseball legend and TBS and Atlanta Braves executive, Hank Aaron. Watts talks about establishing a new tradition, giving a ring, much like a Super Bowl ring, to the winner of Battle Bowl each year. So of course it entirely makes sense to have baseball great, Hank Aaron, hand out a ring styled after a football tradition. Okay, to be fair, players get rings for the World Series too, but Watts only mentions the Super Bowl. (laughs) Sting joins them, wearing an epic sparkly blue, white, and gold coat, and Aaron hands him the Battle Bowl ring. Aaron congratulates him, and Sting notes that Aaron had 715 home runs. Actually, it's 755. 715 was just what he needed to best Babe Ruth. But Sting is hoping he can get a streak of his own going tonight by going two in a row for Battle Bowl rings. I sure hope Sting's not aiming for 755 Battle Bowl rings, because that would be a lot of Battle Bowl shows. I don't think I could take it.
2: Yeah, I feel like two is too many at this point.
0: <laughs> it's really, really weird that they're giving an award on this show for something that Sting did a year ago, right?
2: A little bit, yeah.
1: It is a bit of an afterthought. They're like, oh, we, we should try to do something.
0: Yeah. Consider if championship wins worked like that. Well, Sting, congratulations. You've won the world title. We'll give you the actual belt just before your first title defense. That would be strange.
2: Well, it's like the Grammys. You, know, you, you hold the trophy, then they give you the real one like three weeks later.
0: Yeah, I guess so.
2: In this case, 51 weeks later, but you know, <laughs> hey.
0: So the ring is a cool idea, but this was just all kinds of awkward.
2: Hey, I mean, I, I'm
1: glad that they chose Hammer and Hank, but it did seem awkward because he goes to put his hand out to shake Sting's hand. Sting just like doesn't see it. and Yeah. They should have had him do a little bit longer speech or something. I don't know. Yeah.
0: It feels like they put it together at like the last minute mm-hmm. despite having a ring crafted, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Speaking of awkward... Bill Watts' tenure will not last much longer beyond this show, because in early 1993, wrestling journalist and future WCW announcer Mark Madden will notify Hank Aaron about an interview that Watts did with the Pro Wrestling Torch prior to his hiring, in which Watts made some pretty awful comments about black people, about slavery, about homosexuality, and spoke in favor of discrimination by business owners. Aaron was very justifiably uh, upset and pressed for Watts' removal. Watts may or may not have quit before he was fired. So this is a short tenure for Bill Watts for very uh, understandable and justifiable reasons. Tony throws to Larry Zabisco and Missy Hyatt, handling the Lethal Lottery drawings tonight. Zabisco notes that they've got 35 athletes ready, but only 11 will face their destiny. I was a little confused by that. With four tag matches, Battle Bowl would feature 16 men, but I think I figured it out. Mm-hmm. Hyatt says they drew the first two teams at the last Clash of the Champions. I'm not sure why they didn't just do all of them then, but that's beside the point. And we already know that Sting is in. He's going to be defending his Battle Bowl title effectively. So Larry's saying that there's 35 men still available to be drawn, and with five of the final 16 determined already, there's 11 more to come. Still a weird way to say it, though.
2: Yeah. So the odds are in Tom Zink's favor then. <laughs> sure.
0: Well, it's time for our first match, so let's go to the ring. Our first match for the Lethal Lottery is Heavy Metal Van Hammer and Dangerous Dan Spivey versus Cactus Jack and Johnny B. Bad. Randy Anderson
2: is our referee. They're the team, two of the teams that knew about the drawing in advance. Cactus Jack, Johnny B. Bad don't get along because they're very vastly different people. They have a match in the 26th episode of the Saturday night where they win, but they also come to blows, so they're not happy. Ah, uh, okay. I guess Dan Tobiovy and Van Hammer also exist because they have no tension <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> they just chill, I guess.
0: Van Hammer is dressed like a cowboy, which doesn't feel particularly metal.
2: My best guess is maybe he's trying to cater to Bill Watts. He looks like a, like a disco uh, Paul Hogan <laughs> me like, nice <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah
0: yeah i can see that I- entirely mm-hmm. there is an incredibly long pause between hammer's entrance and spivey's announcement which was strange since these names have already been drawn at first i thought they were waiting to hear the next name but they know who these ones are yeah spivey makes really good crazy eyes as he comes down the ramp
1: though angry eyes michael keaton <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> On
0: my notes yes definitely Johnny B. Bad is also wearing a cowboy hat, though his is sparkly. He carries a long pop gun filled with confetti that he fires out at the crowd. Jack and Hammer start. Jackhammer?
2: Yeah, <sighs> yeah it would have
0: been a good team name if they'd been teammates.
2: <laughs> it's interesting hearing the word Jackhammer as some sort of foreshouting for later shows as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Jack tries to sneak in a pin with his feet on the ropes that Ref Randy Anderson stops. Hammer hits a nice jumping leg drop, but after Jack tags Bad, Hammer hits an absolutely terrible elbow drop, clearly landing, then falling over to hit Bad. Bad hits rapid arm drags and goes for a Frankensteiner, which Hammer basically takes on his head. I can't imagine that's what he meant to do. It gets two. Spivey in against Jack, and Spivey takes control with some powerful strikes. Hammer can't keep it, though, as Jack jabs him in the eyes. Bad looks irritated with Jack's tactics as Jack tags him, and when Jack tries to hold Hammer for Bad, Bad forces him to let go. Jesse says that Bad is arrogant. Spivey and Hammer don't get along much better as Spivey knees Bad in the back from outside, and when Hammer protests, Spivey just tags himself in and hits an awesome high-impact side slam on Bad. We get a blessedly short bear hug by Spivey, and Hammer and Spivey trade off to keep Bad down. Jesse points out that Hammer doesn't like Spivey's tactics, but he's happy to benefit from them. Bad gets an opening after he and Spivey knock heads and both go down, and Bad reaches Jack just as Spivey shoves him, face first, into the top rope.
2: Ow! Yeah.
0: He rolls outside to recover, and JR says that Spivey pushed him through the ropes, which I'm guessing was the plan. That went (laughs) slightly wrong. (laughs) Jack and Spivey have a brutal brawl, really hard-hitting, and it starts to turn against Jack. He goes for the tag, but Bad is still out on the floor. Jesse accuses Bad of loafing. Tagged to Hammer, who hits a flying shoulder block. He goes for a pin, but Bad gets in and tries an elbow drop to break it up, but Hammer dodges, and Bad hits Jack. Jack gets up and shoves Bad, so Bad decks him with a nice left hook, and Hammer rolls Jack up for the pin. Bad gestures good riddance at Jack as Hammer and Spivey celebrate. As they leave, we see a sign in the crowd that says, The Stooges, Moe, Larry, Curly, Van Hammer. <laughs> so, not a fan then? <laughs> Jesse twice says that Bad hit Jack with a right hand, even while the replay is showing it was definitely a
2: left. (laughs) Well, he was looking at a reflection of it. (laughs) Oh, okay. Watching it in the mirror. Yeah. It was a decent match. I was worried the storyline stuff with them not getting along would overtake everything. Up until the end, when obviously it's super important to the finish, they relatively keep it in check, like the subtle interactions of them not being happy. Obviously, Van Hammer is kind of a dead weight. He's a little better in this than he has in other shows. He has a, you know, the 50-50 ratio of good leg drop than bad elbow drop. So. Yeah. And really the worst thing he does is to himself, I guess.
0: Oh, God, that, was, that so. looked so painful when he fell down on his head on that. That was one of those moments that I'm like, I'm glad I know this guy goes on to have several more matches that, that looked like that would have been really bone-breaking.
2: <laughs> yeah. The overall is pretty good. I, it's still weird that the finish involves the face betraying the heel in this scenario yeah. i get that he's mad but that's just that's definitely interesting to do with that dynamic you think kid, if cactus turn on him for some reason mm-hmm. but no i see them
1: as opposing forces there's no face and heel in this one cactus jack can be both <laughs> like <laughs> True. he's his own enemy in some ways point Point. and in my notes i have everyone won except for cactus jack <laughs> <laughs> and it made me very sad actually because you know i do enjoy him as a performer and he plays that character very well. Yeah, at least a lot more consistent than Van Hammer because Van Hammer sometimes is not playing a wrestler, like <laughs> something else. I don't know, but you know, it was it was, it was a decent start of Starcade. We've had some real dud first yeah. matches. At least this one, there's some some nice technical bits and spots, but it was short, sweet. It's a shame Cactus Jack isn't isn't uh, <laughs> in the running.
0: Yeah. I
1: know I knew you guys would both
0: be like, we really wanted more cactus out of this show after because he was both of your MVPs last time, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this was okay. It had its moments. Honestly, there was uh, some very good offense from bad whether Hammer could actually take it. Well, is another matter, (laughs) and Jack and Spivey had a really nice brawling bit towards the end. That got really intense. I was surprised. The match story is all kinds of muddled, I think. The faces appear to have problems with the heel's tactics sometimes, but they just go along with it at other times. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like the situation builds quite sufficiently enough to bad decking Jack. There needed to be more attention in the match or more open arguing. It just kind of looked like Jack lightly shoved bad and that set him off. Like you said, it doesn't feel natural that
1: he's betraying him for that i honestly thought the announcer like gave him the idea he's like oh yeah you guys aren't together are you yeah yeah <laughs> he's like, oh yeah i'm not and then yeah so yeah
0: it, it feels like bad just loses his temper for no real reason and that i don't think was the intent still a few nice moves here and it kept moving pretty well he had a respectable pacing for an opening match but it just didn't really have the sense of energy to go along with it if that makes any sense
2: mm-hmm. yeah yeah Cactus Jack would have a very interesting 1993. He would work a lot with Vader, which would be good and bad for him, physically yes. and mentally. On the flip side, Johnny Bad would go into program with Max Payne. Oh, poor guy. He's definitely not the winner of this scenario. No. Sadly, it's not the Max Payne video game character a little bit. Much better.
0: Tony joins Zabisco and Hyatt as they draw the names for the next teams. So our second match... For the Lethal Lottery again Is The Natural Dustin Rhodes And Big Van Vader With Harley Race Versus The Barbarian and Kensuke Sasaki The referee for this match Is
2: Mike Atkins In the King of Cable tournament Which is a bigger thing later There's this long bracket of people who have fought So during that I think they mentioned this very briefly Rhodes actually beat Barbarian in the tournament Oh okay But his match following that He loses to Vader Oh, interesting. So three people in the tournament are Mm. in this match. Yeah. It would be a nice storyline for them to bring up for tension, but they just don't feel like it, I guess. That's kind of neat. Yeah.
0: Vader asks people, who's the man, as he walks down the ramp. Race chats with Rhodes as the other team enters, and JR informs us that Rhodes and Vader met in the semifinals of the King of Cable tournament. Jesse says that when you're in the ring, you're there to win. You'd better put aside old differences to achieve victory. Vader and Barbarian shake hands, and Jesse praises their sportsmanship. J.R. says it really warms his heart. He sounds very sincere. <laughs> then the push. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so Vader ends that with a shove, and the two test their strength, shoving each other around and utterly ignoring clotheslines from each other. Barbarian slams Vader with ease, and Vader looks pretty impressed at that. The two smash into each other twice with no reaction, but Vader jumps at Barbarian and body checks him down on the third time, then lays in a beating with forearm strikes in the corner. Barbarian fights back with hard clotheslines, but Vader knocks him down with one of his own and tags Rhodes. They have a really nice team-up, with Vader lifting Barbarian for a Rhodes-jumping clothesline, but Rhodes can't keep Barbarian away from Sasaki. Rhodes and Sasaki land hard hits, and Sasaki gets Rhodes down and goes up top but Rhodes springs up and catches him in midair with a perfectly timed drop kick. That was good, yeah. That was really cool. Vader in to nail Sasaki with a body check off the second rope with so much momentum that Vader keeps going, stumbling all the way across the ring. Closed line and a huge power slam, but Sasaki kicks out as JR excitedly yells, He kicked out! The kid kicked out! And gets really into it. <laughs> Sasaki fights back, but Vader keeps taking him down with massive hits until Sasaki counters a Vader suplex with his own nice and smooth. Both are down, but both make it to their partners. Rhodes uses fast, hard strikes to get Barbarian reeling, and ends on a lariat for two as Sasaki saves. Sasaki goes back out, but Rhodes follows him to the ropes and brawls with him. Barbarian tries to sneak in a hit from behind, but Rhodes ducks and Barbarian clobbers Sasaki, so Rhodes rolls Barbarian up for the pin. Rhodes and Vader celebrate, until Vader suddenly clotheslines Rhodes down. Race drops a knee on Neon Rhodes, but Sasaki runs in and stands in defense of Rhodes until Vader, Race, and Barbarian leave. Vader energetically making Vader signs the whole way back.
2: <laughs> I like this one for the most part. I like that Vader really got a chance to shine in this. Yeah, mm-hmm. Obviously, in the previous show we had, there's a bit of a handicap because we really didn't have a good opponent, honestly. I mean, Nightstar could do almost nothing in that match, but even Mr. Hughes is not, you know, not your five-star caliber opponent. So, having him someone he can really do more interaction with and sport smoothly is really nice. What's interesting with Vader is that he really does sell the power, but also weakness when necessary. Mm-hmm. Like, he could have fully no sold being by Slam, but he sells it briefly and acts really annoyed that it happened.
0: Yeah. It's a nice little it character. It kind of gives stuff. him a look like, oh, I respect you a little more now.
2: Yeah. I can see that. Now, I do think you're underselling the impact when you call it the second world body check he does to Sasaki. Better visual I have for it is the so picture you're in a moving company and you're just you're distracted, you know, you're looking your phone or what have you, and your partner decides to shove the refrigerator off the truck. <laughs> that is what being hit by Vader is like.
0: Yeah, it it was significant.
2: <laughs> Everyone did a pretty good job here. Barbarian has never been my favorite wrestler, but he's always he's been reliable at what he does. Mm-hmm. I like that he doesn't try to do too much different, and he really nails sort of the fundamentals of what his yeah. character is and what he does. He's never going to have a five-star match for me, but he's never going to have a one-star match for me either, so it's a good middle right. ground with him. The only one that feels odd out of here, which is nothing a knock on his ability, is Sasaki. It's weird that he's here, given that everyone else has story, and then just, here's this guy. Yeah. Because, yeah, he has no character interaction with any of the people. It just feels like they need a fourth person, and they picked him. I could speculate as re- reasons why they picked him, but I'll get to that later. Okay. It's a good match-up role, I thought. Vader definitely is the one that comes out the best. Yeah,
1: yeah. Vader doesn't move like someone his size. No, like, and you can tell that there's some uh, there's some weight behind it for sure. Even Barbarian doesn't have to sell very hard, <laughs> mm-hmm. and Barbarian does look like an EverQuest character, by the way. Like, yeah, only, like, yes, straight up, like like one of the things you can select as a default.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: It, it's nice to see him push back against Vader here and there, but it seems like both speed and power still belong to Vader. And and honestly, I don't really have much to say about Sasaki because you know, again the rest of the match was dominated by Vader. You know, it's really the only person I was really paying attention to uh, whenever he's in the ring. (laughs)
0: Mm -hmm. He's very easy to watch, yeah.
1: (laughs) Well that, and and like the referee looks like he's afraid of him. Like he's afraid he's going to get piled over or like rolled over at any point. (laughs) It's a perfectly reasonable fear. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, it's one of those things that You do see the setups between him and Rhodes, and Rhodes is always a great wrestler and can pull on those cues like few others can. But, you know, Vader still, still the highlight of the match for me.
0: Yeah, I think this one had a little bit of a slow start with Vader and Barbarian just kind of trading the same moves, though that was still kind of cool. But once they got past proving that they were just as tough as each other, this was all action and really fun. This was hard-hitting and fast, with some surprising spots. That Vader body check from the second rope looked absolutely brutal. (laughs) And Sasaki, I really actually paid a lot of attention to. I thought he got to look really good here, and the suplex on Vader was particularly impressive.
2: Oh yeah, I don't take nothing away from what he actually did in the ring.
0: Rhodes really showed a lot of fire. The pace picked up from the moment he got in. I did feel like Rhodes' brawling with Sasaki was a little out of nowhere, but Maybe we're supposed to get that it was Rhodes' plan to lure Barbarian in with that. It feels like that's suggested, but it's unclear. I did like this version of tension between partners, though, with Vader
2: and Rhodes sticking together until the match was over, and only then having Vader betray Rhodes. That was funny, as JR gets confused, he's like, why is he doing that? Why is he attacking his partner? I'm like, well, "He's not his partner anymore, the match is over. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense.
0: Yeah, Jesse says, I think a little bit later, that now that Vader's got what he needs out of Rhodes, he... uh wants to eliminate him as competition for later. Yeah. It makes sense. That's a tremendous heel thing to do. yeah, that's really good.: <laughs> Yeah, I much preferred this version of tag team tension to the weird sting Abdullah stuff last year. <laughs> yeah, that just kind of inter- interrupted the match too much. But yeah, really good match. And honestly, if I were you know setting up the show, I think I would have put this first and the cactus match second. Mm -hmm. Because this has just, like, that energy that I felt like the first one was kind of missing.
2: And internally, you can make a case that maybe you want to have a match where you know all the opponents to be the last one to go on as well. I could see that. Because you build and build, and now that we know, they've all this time to tension build more.
1: Yeah. I think that's also a really good way, like you said, to build tension. But you could also switch up the show if you wanted to. If someone got hurt uh, earlier on, then you could put whoever you want in that final match. Some variant on the this guy wants to partner with this guy thing,
0: and that they, they did last year, and have Bad, who we know is going to be Cactus's partner, have like, or maybe even have Cactus just beat the crap out of him backstage. Yeah, they have to draw another partner for him or something. Though I'd kind of be sad at that because Bad's performance was pretty good in that match. But
2: <laughs> the double team move that Vader and Rhodes do is basically the heart attack.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is
2: weird to see that in WWE. And with no Hart family person at all here. yeah.
0: <laughs> Are you going to tell Vader he can't use that move? No. No. <laughs> not even close.
2: Barbarian is not super long for WCW. He hangs around about well, halfway through the year, and then it goes from being on TV regularly to being on house shows and then being gone quickly. It's a sort of slow slide for him. Sasaki doesn't wrestle too much more in WCW at the time, Although he is on the WCW New Japan Super Show, which they air in March, but this is recorded in January. Road Warrior Animal is injured around this time period. So Road Warrior Hawk, wrestling almost solely in Japan at this point, finds a new partner in the form of Suzaki, who is the Power Warrior. Ah, oh, okay. And so they form a very successful tag team in Japan called, no lie, the Hellraisers. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Nice. Their match on the Super Show is them against the Steiners, would be interesting to see on their debut promoted show, given that Steiners left. Oh, true, yeah. So don't worry, they took care of that. They just cut the match from the show. Aww. Yeah, a little petty. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, you're not hearing anymore? Well, boop,
0: play that. wonder if the footage exists somewhere, if the network can get it at some point.
2: Yeah, the New Japan version of the show. Maybe, yeah, yeah.
0: JR quickly announces that Super Brawl 3 is coming up, and we see the logo quickly. I feel like these ads are getting a bit lazier. We go back for another drawing, and Tony says that we're already halfway through. What wonderful words those are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so our third match for the Lethal Lottery is Barry Wyndham and the Great Muda versus Two Cold Scorpio and Flyin' Brian Pillman. The referee for this match is Nick Patrick. And oh my, Barry Wyndham and Brian Pillman, tag partners, have been drawn against each other. Who would ever have imagined that? <laughs> Shock and awe. <laughs> uh, two two years of Battle Bowl, and that happens in both years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bizarrely, Wyndham comes out, then Scorpio, then Pillman, then finally Muda, even though Muda is Wyndham's partner.
2: Yeah, I that's that a little too.
0: weird. Announcer Gary Michael Capetta just kind of takes it in stride. I just wondered, was Muda still touching up his paint backstage? I don't know. He's back on the red paint this year, but with blue parts as well to match his sparkly blue jacket. Scorpio and Wyndham start, and Scorpio's speed and agility give Wyndham trouble. Scorpio uses a series of arm drags and an arm lock to control, even countering a Wyndham arm drag with his own in a nice flowing spot. Wyndham instinctively reaches for Pillman, before realizing he's not his partner this time.
2: Yeah, it was a nice little tattoo.
0: Yeah. Wyndham manages to stretch to his corner to tag Muda, and it takes Scorpio a moment to realize what happened. Wyndham oddly argues with Muda, but ref Nick Patrick ushers him out. The crowd chants for Muda, and he does well against Scorpio and Pillman in turn, including an awesome acrobatic sequence with Pillman as they dodge around each other's moves. Jesse calls Muda, poetry in motion. Tagged to Wyndham, and he and Pillman face off. It starts careful but quickly turns aggressive with the two trading blows before Windham realizes what they're doing and stops it, motioning for calm. Windham shoves Pillman to the corner to tag out to Muda. Pillman keeps up with Muda until Muda spin kicks him right in the face, so Pillman responds by spacking him to the middle turnbuckle and pressing him hard against it as we get some great pained expressions from Muda. Pillman trades out to Scorpio to continue the attack, but Muda gets his knees up on a splash to tag Wyndham. Scorpio can't outrun Wyndham now, so Wyndham utterly demolishes him with big power moves. Suplex float over into a pin is especially smooth. Wyndham always does that really well.
2: Mm-hmm, actually.
0: Back to Muda, and Muda and Wyndham hit a double dropkick together. I wasn't expecting that. Muda hits his power drive elbow and an interesting leg hold, and Scorpio hits a hard knee strike and a cool rotating leg drop off the ropes. Muda spin kicks Scorpio out onto the ramp, but Scorpio knocks him down and tries a flipping splash but his knee comes down early, and Muda nearly takes it on the groin. Wyndham saves, and Pillman comes in too. Muda throws Pillman out, and Wyndham DDTs Scorpio. Muda climbs up top and delivers his moonsault. It kind of mostly misses, actually, (laughs) for the pin, as Pillman is a split second too late to save. Pillman gives Wyndham a glare and goes to check on Scorpio, but Wyndham drags Pillman away, and they walk off.
2: Thankfully for once, we have four really solid workers together, so there's no, like, sort of drag on it, which I yeah. liked. It feels to me this is, like, the easier-to-deal-with version of the tense tag partners thing because it doesn't really attract for the match that much. No. They put a little bit in there of them shoving each other and realizing the mistake. But otherwise, it's a fairly normal match without sort of stopping and to remind you that there's a story going on. Yeah. It's very quick as well. This would almost, again, almost be an interesting opening as well. Mm-hmm. Especially given that you have the you know, shock tag partners against each other thing. That could really sell the how surprising and random this whole show is survive. Sort of well, they didn't
0: want to do that in the first match two years in a row. That'd be just way too repetitive. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so it's clear. They had a show last year with 10 tag matches. They were worth it being repetitive? Yeah. Okay. Just checking. Uh, it's neat to see Scorpio here because uh, reading that Scorpio didn't debut in WCW until October of that year. of Oh, two. wow. Yeah, he's a surprise tag number and matched Brian Simmons. So this is his first real big show in this stage. He actually does really well. His speed is really good. Scorpio's thing, no matter where he's at, especially the 90s to the 2000s, is always finding some slight version of a move no one's done before. Mm-hmm. He starts doing the moonsault leg drop in, uh ECW, for instance. I like the idea of his, his sort of Basically, he flips into the ring, turning it into a 450, essentially. Yeah. He just doesn't quite get the spacing of that right. Like, if Muda was, like, an inch or two forward, that probably would have worked up just yeah, fine, I, I think, think. so. But you kind of gloss over that, because Muda clearly just basically backflips splashes himself <laughs> and puts his hand down on film at the last second. It's a shame, because his moonsault sometimes is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And in this case, the flip itself is still really impressive. It's just the collision's off, unfortunately. He just
0: goes too far with it.
2: Oh, yeah. It's by no means the worst moonsault I've seen, but it's just kind of sad when it's him doing that. You really hope it'll be perfect every time and Yeah. It's because you expect it. But overall, I thought it was good. The only issue I have besides those two moves not quite going right is how awkward the pillman stuff is. Because he's on the apron, sees Muda to go for the moonsault, and he kind of waits to go into the ring and then mm. kicks him at like 2.9 and it doesn't, just doesn't matter basically. Yeah. The timing that was just a little weird. Other than that, I thought it was good though.
1: That was a really solid match. I did enjoy watching Scorpio. Throughout the match, he used various techniques, like Al was saying, that there's a little bit of a twist to them. Like, I don't know the names of all the moves, but you can tell that he has his own unique style and that, you know, while some things are not perfect and finessed, they still look like they work. Yeah. The one where he flips over the ropes and lands on uh, Muda, did a little over-rotation on it, but he recovered, like, immediately. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't expect the same aerial prowess as, you know, Muda, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But it was lively. I agree that it would have been better placed in a different spot in the show. I just wanted to call it, The only thing I have on, on the thing, other than everyone being springy, is um, <laughs> the Double Dragon Surprise dropkick. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which I thought was done really well. I just was not expecting Wyndham to do that at all. Like Muda,
0: you expect... That from, but Wyndham looks like this big bruiser guy. You don't expect him to, one, throw a drop kick and two, throw a really beautiful dropkick. Yeah. It yeah. looked just as good as Muda's there.
1: No, it synced yeah. up real well.
0: Yeah, they did a good job with that. Yeah, I thought a uh, really good, fast paced match it might be a little sloppy at times. There's points where Scorpio seems to get a bit ahead of himself or where people aren't quite in the right position for a move, like you guys were saying, but it doesn't stop the spots from being really cool it does just hurt the suspension of disbelief a little bit. Mm -hmm. Still, I really enjoyed this one. Scorpio and Muda had some particularly cool acrobatic sequences, and I really liked the tense interactions between Pillman and Wyndham. It felt like they know their partners, but they both really want to win this, and they did a good job of showing that it was hard restraining themselves for the good of their later match. Pillman in particular looked like he wanted to prove he was better than Wyndham when they faced off. I can see that, yeah. He had this look on his face like, no, why are we stopping? I want to do this. Wyndham had some great power spots, too. He was the big guy in a match with a bunch of faster wrestlers, but he didn't look like a slouch. And I will never tire of Muda's spin kicks. Mm. They're vicious. <laughs> Very fun match here. It could just be a little smoother, that's all.
2: So interestingly enough, both people on the losing team here would form fairly successful tag teams in 1993 in WCW, all places. <laughs> Puma would, of course, go on to form the Hollywood Blind with Steve Austin, which should be good. Yep. Slightly less exciting is Dugo Scorpio teaming with Buff Bagwell, or Marcus Bagwell, excuse me.
0: Marcus Alexander uh, Bagwell. Ba-
2: oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I- I'm the teacher I'm not the teacher getting mad at him at school I have to say it's all three names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that they're both in separate tag teams.
0: Just after teaming up yeah, that's interesting. We go to our fourth match, which is Sting and Doctor Death Steve Williams versus Eric Watts and Jushin Thunder Liger. Our referee for this match is Randy Anderson. Sting, of course, is guaranteed in this because he was the Battle Bowl champion last year, so we don't actually have a drawing for him, we just draw his partner. Zabisco calls Dr. Death one of the last of the real men. (laughs) Eric Watts has been in the company since August, having only been wrestling for three months prior to that. Funny how he's suddenly in a starcade match across from Sting, huh? He even had an undefeated streak going up until early December. It might have something to do with his last name.
2: <laughs> is it like a really nice last name is that people just like him because of that? No. I... Oh, because of yeah. the other guy. Yeah, I see. Yeah,
0: yeah. Eric Watts is Bill Watts' son. So Eric Watts gets pushed because he's his kid, even though...
1: Well, he, he did seem a little green. Yes. <laughs> a bit.
0: By this point I was getting really, really tired of this year's Starcade theme because it played incessantly between every lethal lottery match. It's
2: true, yeah, it didn't like, it. Oh
0: gull, I was I was getting really annoyed. Doctor Death is announced as now residing in Nagoya, Japan. Sting sadly left his coat backstage, but the crowd still drowns out the music with cheers, so I'm happy. They are less thrilled with Eric Watts. JR notes that Doctor Death was a protege of Bill Watts, but now he's facing his son. It's kind of an interesting tidbit there. Yeah. Liger makes up for Sting's missing coat by coming out with an awesome gold, blue, and white cape that only makes his look even more amazing. That (laughs) looks so cool.
2: That is pretty cool, yeah.
0: The crowd erupts in cheers as Sting and and Liger. I almost said Sting and Luger. (laughs) (laughs) The crowd erupts in cheers as Sting and Liger face off, and Sting rewards them with a Stinger call fast start as Liger outpaces Sting but Sting resists his blows and is fast enough to dodge his bigger hits JR says that Sting is really fast for his size though nobody's as fast as Liger Sting tags Dr. Death and Dr. Death comes in aggressively with kicks he tries a suplex but Liger lands behind and lands kicks and punches only for Dr. Death to rake his eyes? Come on the mask totally covers them that shouldn't work
2: (laughs) we're just pulling out of the way it's just really annoying (laughs) I guess I don't know you're still gonna blink
0: I guess. JR notes that Liger and Dr. Death work for competing companies in Japan, so you would never get to see this match there. Liger tags Watts, who gets a sloppy arm drag, but does get a better one a moment later. Dr. Death mostly dominates with forearms and knee strikes, but Watts hits a crossbody for two. Dr. Death flings him to the ropes, but Watts sneaks in a tag to Liger, who catches Dr. Death by surprise with kicks. That was kind of a kinda nice spot. Mm-hmm. Liger keeps up the offense, but can't monkey flip Dr. Death out of the quarter. Shades of Fantastics. So Dr. Death murders him with a monster clothesline. Dr. Death pins Liger's corpse, but Liger resurrects and kicks out at two. Dr. Death and Sting trade off, hurling Liger around the ring like a ragdoll, with Liger only managing a sunset flip before taking an extended beatdown. Dr. Death chokes Liger and gets aggressive, while Sting fights clean. Liger finally hits a facebuster on Dr. Death and gets a tag to Watts. The crowd boos. Mm. Jeez. The crowd knows what's coming. (laughs) Yeah. Watts trades blows with Dr. Death and whips him to the ropes for the worst dropkick ever.
2: <laughs> no question.
0: <laughs> it's just totally mistimed. He was way too close as Dr. Death rebounded, so he was barely airborne when Dr. <laughs> Death reaches him. JR generously claims that Dr. Death held onto the ropes to stop it. <laughs> really nice try, JR, but no, <laughs> no. Watts goes for the STF. Dr. Death makes the ropes to force a break just as Watts gets it locked in. JR says that otherwise Dr. Death would definitely have submitted. Watts charges, but Dr. Death dumps him out through the ropes. Watts holds on and drags himself back in. Dr. Death hits strikes and Watts tries a crossbody, but Dr. Death dumps him neck first on the top rope for the pin. Dr. Death and Sting stare each other down, but celebrate their win.
2: So I was really excited for this match, seeing three of the four names involved. Yes. (laughs) Then there's... There's an issue, obviously.
1: <laughs> Dr. Death showed up.
2: <laughs> now, he's fully recovered from the uh, groin strike he suffered a few years back. Yes. Barry Wyndham, thankfully. No, yeah, it's, I don't mean to be mean to the guy, but Eric Watts just should not have been in this position. No. It's not like he couldn't and wouldn't become a better wrestler later. It's just, yeah, this is not the right place for him. And that dropkick really just <laughs> kind of sells it. Who would you rather have?
1: I mean, not, not, don't say anyone. I'm just <laughs> saying, like, <laughs> like, like who, who makes sense story-wise?
2: Well, there's not really any story to this at all anyways, so you could just pick oh, okay. anybody.
0: Yeah, probably. Um, I guess Austin's in the company and not on the show. It would, that would have been cool. That's actually a very good point. That would be good. It'd be interesting, too, because Steve Austin's real name is Steve Williams. That's correct. Which is why he got Austin. Is, he's on a show that Dr. Death is on. Austin is still at that point going by Steve Williams and they realize it shortly before the show and tell him to come up with another name when he can't before his match Dutch Mantel basically tells him you're Steve
2: Austin go out there <laughs> I just thought he was a big fan of the six million dollar man no. <laughs> but yeah it's one of the ones that I, I'm not mad at Eric Watt for being here if you know my dad company and thought I was good enough I could see myself being talked into going out even that ready it's not like he's really bad and trying to get away with it no my bigger problem it's hard to say that dropkick exists in this match is just the way they booked the thing overall for what reason they booked Liger to just get beat up most of the match I don't know why you would do that with him obviously I don't like Eric Watts at this point in case that wasn't clear but I could see the storyline on them being Eric Watts up and then Liger can come back. Just simply reverse the flow of the match yeah. would a lot better. Plus, I'm pretty sure Liger's jacket would have been better,
0: too. Yeah. You wonder if Watts just couldn't bump that extensively yet either, maybe, and so it might be by necessity if you're going to have someone selling all the time, maybe it has to be Liger because Watts, they don't trust to be able to take all the moves. I don't know. I
2: mean, I want to think that's true, but I'm pretty sure it's just yeah. his dad is running the company, so he has to be the big shining face, even if he loses the match. Yeah. It's a shame that we don't get a lot of good Liger stuff in there. Because even the bit Piguet are a little tainted. I mean, his interaction with Sting in the beginning is really good. Just really want to see more of that. Yeah. His spot with the uh, monkey flip, you kind of undersell it there. Because I like because it's that, that Fantastics match with them. Mm-hmm. Except the way it comes off in this match is Liger jumps at him, puts his leg down on Williams' legs to do the move. And then it immediately jumps off and does a roll. Yeah, it doesn't
0: look like he actually tries to tug
2: at him, really. No, yeah. not even remotely. It looked like he was trying to doing some fusing kicks to the front of his legs and then <laughs> rolled away. No, that's left to Eric Watts. It's a yeah. probing attack. <laughs> <effect. laughs> I, I could see what he was going for because his actual roll off of him is really quick and impressive. It's just he clearly wasn't actually doing the move before he did the jump. Yeah. Off. It's kind of a the match in the way because I really wanted to like it a lot more.
1: Okay, I don't know who Watts is, so I don't have any expectation other than in the very beginning, I'm like, wow, you know, like he's doing some decent arm drags. And then I'm noticing he's just standing there and Dr. Death is throwing himself (laughs) 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 over, telling him where to move. I think Death does a good job in the ring with him. But unfortunately, every time you have Liger versus Sting, it's just. I, I don't know. It's playful, mm-hmm. <laughs> like like it's energetic. It, it's like this is what should be happening. Yes. And it's just a stark contrast to what happens when Watts is in the ring. Yeah. I don't like the zoom in on the ass shots, but that's fine. I gotta show <laughs> off the name. <laughs> I like Super Liger coming in. It had a great build up with the new cape and everything. Mm-hmm. He did have some decent spots in this where he showed off some of his skills, but he was pretty much a punching bag. Yeah. Again, I do think that's because of his experience. He definitely did a better job selling. Other than uh, Watts, he would count to three, get punched three times and then punch three times back. (laughs) (laughs) There was a little bit of a pattern there. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the outcome was not unexpected. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, um, I'm totally with you guys on that. This was much less than it could have been with Liger, Sting, and Dr. Death in there. Liger... I was bummed out they didn't do much offense, too. Yeah. It hurts the match. He has a lot of cool spots, and I feel like it would have been really cool to see him doing those against Dr. Death and Sting, especially Sting. I think they could have had, they're, they're both very fast wrestlers, as yeah. they say. So don't get me wrong, there's some cool spots here and there, but they're all from the standpoint of Sting or Dr. Death just ragdolling Liger around. So he just doesn't get to show off at all. He did at least get to look resilient because he survives all that offense, so that was pretty nice. Yeah. Particularly since Dr. Death gets increasingly brutal over the course of the match. It just felt like there could have been so much more to it. And Watts, like you said, yeah, the guy's only been wrestling at all for a few months. He's just not ready. I don't fault him for it, like you were saying, Al. He just, he can't perform reliably yet. He's new, and it's very obvious that he's new. And unfortunately he doesn't have like a big character to cover it up like say DDP did last year. That's true, yeah. So you know, I guess at the least he will never be forgotten, courtesy of that terrible drop kick. But yeah. I'm not sure that's a good thing.
1: He recovered, he did another one right afterwards. Yes,
0: he did do a, a better drop kick right afterwards. The, he does a good one when he doesn't have to time it to like the rebound off the ropes and stuff. Yeah. He's fine for the actual drop kick, it's just the timing I think that gets him.
1: And he at least did the motions for the stuff. I mean, the STF.
0: Yes. (laughs) And to his credit, he takes that final hot shot, the drop on the ropes, like a champ. I think he did a good job with that. Yeah. I think he's actually out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe he just legitimately (laughs) knocks into the ropes and is unconscious. I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, overall, really disappointing match here outside of a few nice spots here and there.
2: Interestingly, to our point on Austin being a better replacement for Eric Watts, the hotshot is, Austin is Austin's finish. move, yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's like he was there in spirit.
2: There's an episode of Nitro years down, like it's 1999. They're doing this storyline where it's repeating itself. Ric Flair has his son now being heavily promoted. His son, David Flair. Not Solar Flair? <laughs> no. But they make the story that David is not really winning his matches. Eric Flair is controlling the situation, the game to win. But what's funny is one of the opponents he's given as, like, the veteran wrestlers he has to put him over is Eric Watts. <laughs> so seven years from now, history has fully reversed itself, and he's in the Dr. Death Eric spot. Watts,
0: veteran wrestler.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that threw me when I saw them. Like, uh, what?
0: That's awesome.
2: Don't you get that after five years? Aren't you a veteran at that point?
0: Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> I wonder if he gets better at drop kicks at that point.
2: Generally.
1: The Liger and Sting spots uh, were, was was a highlight of my night at, at this point.
0: <laughs> it was still a Liger bump, but there's one point where Sting gets in the ring, muscles him up really quickly over his shoulder, bodily carries him to the corner and rams him into the
2: turnbuckle. Mm-hmm. Was like, yeah, that was good. Ah, that looked painful. <laughs> yeah. With Bill Watts losing his power earlier in the year, Eric Watts' prominence shockingly drops.
0: Yeah.
2: I, I can't figure it out. Unfortunately, we will not see Liger again until 1995. would be in Japan doing stuff, it's dead. Up until the first Nitro. Okay.
0: Jesse and JR tell us we've now got our Battle Bowl lineup. <laughs> what a difference from last year's bloated Battle Bowl, huh? we mm-hmm. got eight men rather than 20. They go over the competitors, and we get pictures of each of them in nice 90s glowy neon frames. I really like that. Mm-hmm. JR asks Jesse if he thinks that Sting can do it again. Jesse says that Sting got past the first stage, but he thinks it's unlikely that he's going to win Battle Bowl twice. JR kind of sells it as Sting trying to defend a title, but Jesse, more accurately, I think, says it's like trying to win two Super Bowls or two NCAA championships. Each year is its own thing. Yeah. rather than one championship that can actually change hands you're the 1992 battle bowl champion but staying still the 1991 battle bowl champion
2: yeah it's a bit of gray area because with sports teams like if say the patriots repeat in super bowl they'll refer to them as the defending champion, even though it's not literally yeah. how it works but yeah yeah it's a common of expression
0: yeah JR throws to Tony and Zabisco, and they talk up the NWA title match, as we see footage of Muda as Kieji Mudo, his non-face-painted variety, and Chono from Japan. Larry says that Muda is a great aerial fighter, but Chono is a better mat wrestler, and eventually they're going to end up on the mat, so he predicts that Chono will take it. Tony notes that Chono is the master of the STF, which Eric Watts tried to put on in the last match.
2: It's a tough competition there between the two of them. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Neck and neck. (laughs) So our fifth match is the Great Muda versus Masahiro Chono for Chono's NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Our referee for this match is Mike Atkins. JR praises WCW for managing to sign the rematch between Muda and Chono and says that promoters worldwide were bidding on it, but WCW got it. Meanwhile, we get a sign in the crowd displaying a bullseye. The sign reads, Hey Buddha, spray here. I'm, I'm just going to leave that one there.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's green mist. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I hope that's what they mean. Other fans are holding up letter signs for Starcade 92, but with only one R. So I think they heard you, John. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we get Muda chance again, and we get a nice shot of the big gold belt. The two trade hard strikes at first with a big Chono kick, but Muda rebounds off the ropes for a charging forearm. They go to mat wrestling, ending with a Chono enziguri that sends Muda rolling outside to shake it off. Muda's face paint is really messed up. It makes him look like a bloody mess.
2: Fitting for him, honestly.
0: (laughs) True. I have Rudolph Muda.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) Nice. Nice.
0: Back in, and they trade headlocks, wrist locks, and strikes as JR asks Jesse if he can interpret what they're saying, but Jesse says that he's pretty good at Tagalog, but not good at Japanese. Jesse was stationed in the Philippines when he was in the Navy. Cool spot as they lock hands for a test of strength, and Muda backflips but maintains the hold to change the leverage. Chono counters with a suplex while still maintaining the hold. That's a pretty nice complex spot there. They trade abdominal stretches and arm bars before a Muda figure-four head scissors. Chono wraps Muda's legs and bends painfully back in a pretty cool leg hold, but Muda gets the ropes and ref Mike Atkins forces the break. Jesse has some good analysis during all these holds. Muda's limping, and Chono kicks him and throws him out through the ropes a couple of times. Chono follows him out the second time, but Muda escapes back in. Chono dominates with a sequence of arm holds and slams Muda down to go up top, but Muda springs up and gets a superplex. Both lie there as Atkins counts, and Muda gets to his feet first. Muda gets a single leg crab, and JR wonders if they'd still call the full thing a Boston crab in Japan. Jesse says they'd call it a Hiroshima crab. JR goes very, very quiet. Muda gets a bridging Indian deathlock, and Jesse tries to discuss what that might be named in Japan, but JR just kind of ignores him, so Jesse thankfully goes back to just analyzing the moves. Good call. Yeah. Chono gets the ropes to force a break. Chono hits a nice snap suplex but Muda dodges a clothesline to hit a spin kick, and Chono rolls out. Back in, Muda keeps control and hits the handspring elbow. Chono goes for the knee, but Muda hits a backbreaker and tries the moonsault. Chono dodges, and Muda lands on his feet, but hurts his knee, and Chono goes to work on it. They repeat the kick and rebound forearm spot, and Muda gets an inside cradle for two and three quarters. Simultaneous drop kicks. Chono hits a brutal back suplex and goes for another, but Muda flips himself over and lands on top for two and three quarters again. Muda whips Chono to the ropes, but Chono grabs the ropes to avoid the dropkick and grabs the STF, wrenching aggressively on Muda's neck. The crowd chants for Muda, but Muda submits. The crowd is not happy.
2: So I'm a bit torn in this one because purely intentional level, it's the best match so far. Mm-hmm. There's a mix of holds. They do that. the transitions really well. There's a clear story of who's going after what limbs and all these strikes. I guess my problem is I don't really get a lot from Chono. There's like no character to him at all. He's really good wrestler. I don't get me wrong. He's very talented, but he has no character. So he's just a guy that's wrestling. Buddha has his strikes and his sort of look, little touches to his character, give him something to work with. But Chono just kind of didn't have anything, unfortunately. I don't want to feel like I'm critiquing a tactical match because I really like those. It's just, I don't know. I was expecting more out of this. Mm-hmm. I just, Emotionally, I didn't connect, I guess. I didn't, I didn't feel for what the story is going to be. My note was that it's substance over style until the final minutes. Mm-hmm. Which is obviously not the way it normally goes, but it's interesting to see something like that. And you can sort of gauge it by the crowd, honestly. There's not like a big back and forth. There's, there's cheering for mood initially, but it definitely seems like it's a quieter overall reaction to the match yeah. than other matches we had so far, and compared to the matches we'll have later. Like I said, it's not a bad, I would not say it's a bad match. It just wasn't, I didn't engage me, that's all. You know, I can, I can see that. Chono
1: was more reactionary, I would say, to what Muda was doing. There were some great counters and sure, everything, yeah. but it was never an initiation on Chono's part. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know if that's because, you know, you got this air versus land or whatever, you know, whatever thing that they they put together. Yeah. Anytime Chono went up on the ropes, hey, guess what? Muda was there to kick him off. Mm-hmm. Anytime um, there was a hold to be placed on anyone, it was always Chono putting it on Muda. You know, every now and then, Muda would get out, but by and large, any of the grabs and holds were Chono. So, mm-hmm. And strikes belonged to Muda. So there was, I got this feel of it was just two different, uh, and, and I hate that there's any stereotyping, but it felt like two different martial arts. <laughs> you know, like, you know, and I know that that's what they're supposed to be. No, I get it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, sure. They they've got two different fighting styles. Yeah, for yeah. sure.
1: Yeah. But Muda was the star of this match for me. Not to say anything bad about Chono. It's just I think he was just more reactionary.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He would just sit there and lie and wait until the next move.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Which I guess made it made me feel like, Oh, well Muda's doing a lot of work and doing some powerful strikes and hits and moves, but at the same time like it it didn't there wasn't any fire, it was just yeah.
2: Yeah, I kept waiting for some sort of character thing, like him getting real visibly angry or doing something, and it never quite came out.
0: Yeah, it's like the first time you actually see major emotion in this match is when he puts the STF on. True, yeah. When he starts really, really wrenching it in, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's intense. Where the heck was this for the rest of this match? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I reacted, I think, exactly the same way you guys were to this. It. Started slow, but it was interesting. Sure. It was kind of cool to see a match that was almost entirely focused on mat wrestling and was very complex. Mm -hmm. So it was very different from what we've seen on a lot of these shows. I like the variety of holds that they used. It was rare to see them put the same hold on twice, so that also helped give variation to the counters that they used. But I said interesting, not exciting. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like you can appreciate the complexity and depth Of the match and what they're doing but it doesn't, it just, like you guys were saying it didn't get me involved emotionally I wasn't reacting to this Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't like feeling this match it takes it a little bit to get a decent pace and there's little breaks where someone rolls out of of the ring or is thrown out of the ring and that saps some of its momentum so that doesn't really help but yeah, I don't know, it's, there's recognizable artistry here and Mm -hmm. I'm not fully sure why I couldn't get, really get into it, but I just I feel like I should have liked this a lot more than I did.
2: There are some real he- technical heavy matches that people are really torn on. Probably the most famous one is the, the mission only Ironman match between Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle. Yeah. That happened in like 2003 2004 maybe. Some in that time period. Some people are really torn on whether that's a boring match or not. I actually really like it. But that's treated the same the same way. In that match, in the story, all they're doing is go with mission holds, because that's the only you can win. Yeah. but So I like that a lot, but it, but people I really, really don't like that match.
0: I feel like if the entire match had been them putting on holds as impressively and aggressively as Chono did that final STF, I would like this a lot better. That moment is where I was like, oh my gosh, that's the potential that this match had. Literally booked this entirely the same, and just Every one of those holds, they really wrench on it, and I think that would actually do it for me,
1: probably. It's yeah. such a minor change, but... They a little bursts of intensity here and there, but it was too far between. Yeah.
2: Also, when you compare it to something we actually have on Starcade, and we already had, you can look at the Russian to we had in Starcade in 1990. Right, yeah. Because they had a really solid, deep, like technical wrestling, collegiate wrestling thing. But then they would just chuck people across the ring, or they'd... They have little bits of character there they react to.
0: Yeah, true. I, I, it's it's a weird match for me because I was just like, I'm watching this. and I'm like, I should like this. This is technically proficient. I can tell this is really really good, like from what they're doing. But I just I couldn't couldn't get into it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah.
2: So as I mentioned, they have the New Japan Super Show, which is taped in january and then aired in march in the u.s mm-hmm. that show takes place on january 4th 1993 you have the rematch between masuyo chono current into champion and muda current idp champion both titles are on the line in that match and Muda wins okay so yet again we have the curse of title changes in january even is overseas
0: Jesse praises Muda's ability to hold on longer in the STF than anyone he's ever seen, but Muda still had to submit. JR talks about the Rick Rude situation and says that they're going to be holding an eight man tournament starting on the next Saturday show to determine the number one contender for his title. And if Rude isn't able to compete by the time the tournament is over, he'll be stripped of the title. Uh, To be clear, Rick Rude is holding the U.S. title at this time. Correct, yes. There are suddenly massive, massive boos from the crowd. And we see Rick Roode coming down to the announce table to grab a mic. Hasn't Rude
5: suffered enough? I mean, the man trained his entire life for this particular night, and now all of a sudden he's denied it. Stabbed in the back by a neurosurgeon. On the biggest day of my life, with one stroke of a pen, a stinking doctor foils my chance at becoming world heavyweight champion. Now the WCW wants to twist the knife. They want to add insult to injury. The WCW is threatening to strip me of my United States title. It ain't right with a medical reason if I can't defend They intend to strip me, not only of my title, but of my number one contender position. It's funny, things didn't go down that way when Big Van Vader broke the ribs of a world champion named Sting. It's plain and it's simple. The WCW is conspiring against Ravishing Rick Rude. But what I want you people to know right now, it ain't gonna work. It ain't ever gonna work. You ain't taking my title. All right, well, Ravishing Rick Rude, obviously very, very upset.
0: I thought this was kind of making the best of a bad situation here. Mm -hmm. Rude does some really good work here to make himself sound completely ungrateful. So the crowd definitely won't take his side, even when he's got legitimate complaints to make. Yes, it's sad for him that he's injured and he's losing his shot at the WCW title. And yes, it's sad that he'd possibly end up surrendering his existing belt. So it'd be easy for the crowd to actually go along with that and kind of turn him partially face. So Rude makes sure to come off as hyper-aggressive and super-paranoid so that it's very clear that he is still the bad guy and should still be booed, and the crowd is very willing to do just that. Mm -hmm. I thought he did a very good job with this.
2: Well, and for me, Rude is the biggest teal on the show because he keeps saying the WCW, (laughs) which drives me crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That happens with a lot of the guys that have gone to the WWF at some point. Yes. Because it's the World Wrestling Federation, but then it's Just world championship wrestling. It's not the world championship wrestling. Yeah. I know Luger has a few problems with that when he comes back eventually, too.
2: Yeah. He also doesn't quite know what his doctor is. Or he went to the wrong doctor, and that's the issue. Yeah. Because he went to a neurosurgeon to get his neck checked out?
0: Yeah. uh, You know, maybe it's a nerve problem. I don't know.
2: Maybe.
0: I do question his doctor's ability as well, since he's gone there to get the neck checked out, and the doctor apparently stabbed him in the back.
2: Just yeah, it's like a Spinal Tap.
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> Jr. For his part, makes really, really wonderful, disbelieving and sarcastic faces all throughout Rude's promo yeah. until the cramp camera guy finally zooms in on Rude. It's utterly hilarious.
2: Yeah, <laughs> he, yeah he's right in the shot. He's just, he's got, yeah.
0: just, his camera's like half focused on his face, and he's just rolling his eyes and mm-hmm. looking like,
1: oh no, no, I don't believe that one. Yeah, he's always got a, a real animated persona.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. Does some great reactions here. Um, I also thought Rude looked really weird without the mustache. <laughs> Sorry. It's just, I'm so used to that. that it It's so weird for it to be missing.
2: It's also the same. Didn't, he didn't come out with his sex jazz music.
0: If he'd used that initial theme for the rest of his career, I think all of us would have been really happy.
2: hmm
1: No, he he does not look happy. <laughs> and, you know, honestly, when they did the first boo, I thought they were just agreeing with him. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> think he was being a heel. I was like, yeah, that's dumb. I don't... <laughs> you know, but then as the booze continued, when, whatever what he was saying, I, I oh, they're just not on board. Yeah.
2: Listen to it. It's a, it's a little split when he talks about being stripped of the title, though. You yeah. can hear it. It's interesting. I'm like, huh. Yeah. Maybe they just don't like the titles being stripped from people. Which is whatever. possible, yeah.
0: As Rude leaves, Jesse says this is politics at its worst. JR says Jesse would know because he's a mayor and Jesse agrees. So JR gets in a really good jab saying, so you're right. Sometimes politics does stink.
1: i don't know every time i hear jesse ventura i keep on thinking of like predator yeah well i mean (laughs) i know yeah
2: or running man yeah
1: yeah
0: our sixth match is dr death steve williams versus ron simmons for simmons wcw world heavyweight championship our referee for this match is nick patrick Dr. Death has an amazing white robe with red flames and a skull pattern on the back. It looks absolutely cool.
2: He's a scary-looking boxer.
0: And Simmons has a football-inspired wrestling outfit with Seminoles colors and a tomahawk, referencing, of course, his experience at Florida State. He also has his amazing rap theme, Don't Step to Ron.
2: I forgot (laughs) that, yeah.
5: Get in the ring, jump, and let's stop A couple of blows and I'ma put you on your rough Chop, chop, bam, then a left, right, left And a kick and a pin to the one, two, three Then it's over with So give that bail the whack And I'ma put this man on his back I was
0: listening to much more of this song than I should have mm-hmm when I was taking my notes. And it's, it's like basically a biographical song after that. Yeah. It's just like where he comes from, his time at Florida State and all this stuff. And then occasionally it's just like, don't step to Ron. <laughs> you made a mistake when you stepped
2: to Ron. I'm like, I love it. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. And even though he's gone, PN News's legacy endures. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Death
0: offers a handshake and Simmons checks with the crowd if he should take it. The crowd seems okay with it, so they shake hands to applause. J.R. mentions that Simmons has a rotator cuff injury on his shoulder, as the two start off tentatively. Simmons works a headlock and stops a few escape attempts, and they shoulder block each other with neither moving. Simmons challenges Dr. Death to a football style face off, and they line up for three point stances and charge, coming out even. Both are up for a second try, Dr. Death very enthusiastic about it. <laughs> and this time Simmons leapfrogs Dr. Death and clotheslines him down. Pretty fun spot. Simmons grabs an arm bar, but Dr. Death escapes outside. Back in, Simmons tries wrist locks and Dr. Death pulls his hair, then hits a hard forearm to the face and Simmons is angry. Simmons seems to think that it might be a closed fist punch and complains, but Dr. Death and Patrick motion that, no, it was a forearm, which is legal, and Dr. Death makes kind of everybody be cool here gestures.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily trust Dr. Death C. Williams, but it's Nick Patrick, so I definitely yeah, trust him. Yeah, Yeah. No question. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So yeah, he calms Simmons down, and then he just goes and pulls Simmons' hair again. The good times are over, and they trade huge punches and power moves. Simmons tries a hammerlock slam, but Dr. Death's arm slips free, JR covers saying that Dr. Death pulled it free. Dr. Death dodges a diving shoulder block to take control, and abuses Simmons' leg, even slamming it on the apron. Simmons is limping, and Dr. Death keeps battering his leg and using leg locks and single-leg crabs. Anytime Simmons tries to fight back, Dr. Death just kicks him in the leg, and down he goes. Dr. Death looks smug, and deadlifts Simmons for a backbreaker. It gets two. I rake and clothesline get another two, and Dr. Death yells at ref Nick Patrick to count faster. Dr. Death tries a leg submission instead, but Simmons won't give in. Dr. Death hits three-point stance charges to knock Simmons' legs out from under him, but the third time, Simmons clotheslines him to huge cheers. Simmons hits his awesome spine buster. J.R. calls it a modified sidewalk slam. What? No. Sometimes J.R has little moments that it doesn't quite go right.
1: It's clearly a standardized sidewalk slam.
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) Simmons hits his own three-point stance charges. On the third, Dr. Death dumps him out through the ropes. Simmons tries to drag Dr. Death out, but Dr. Death kicks him away and hits a jump kick. (laughs) I was surprised by that one. Yeah. They brawl, and Dr. Death tries to run back in, but Simmons stops him just as Patrick reaches ten. So it's a double count out. The bell rings, but they keep fighting. Simmons knocks Dr. Death into the ring post and climbs back in to pose for the crowd. But Dr. Death hits him from behind and splashes him against the turnbuckle, then hits kind of a super bulldog off the top. He goes for a pin, clearly not realizing the match is over, but Mike Atkins runs down to help Patrick drag him off. Patrick changes the decision and disqualifies Dr. Death. As always, Nick Patrick judging entirely right and proper.
2: Absolutely, yeah. I was worried going into this. I knew the Dr. Death. Rude stuff going in. I'm thinking, this match is really made last minute. This is not going to be good. Thankfully, I was actually wrong. It was actually quite good. I guess I doubted Dr. Death, which I shouldn't do, probably. They basically had to build an entire story during the match, rather than having this built-up story that they're going for with rude for like a month and a half or so, yeah. a couple months. He was going for the idea that he was trying to find a weak point in Ron Simmons. And that's, they mentioned the Richard Reckuff injury is part of that story. Oh, okay. He was trying to weaken him up, get around his strengths. It's kind of a shame they didn't really follow up on that part Mm -hmm. of it. Again, they kind of made their own story up for this. I'd like that they sort of slow built the, them being really combative part. Dr. Death, whether he actually is nice or not, is acting nice at the Mm -hmm. beginning. And then sneaks his stuff in there and Ron gets more reaction to it like that. They get a little repetitive at some point because, again, they built an entire match and story from scratch, so I give them a little leeway with that. Yeah. They also lean a little heavily on the do a move twice and the third time get countered thing. Yes. Rule three. Yeah. Yes. It works in comedy and in wrestling, yes. And obviously you know I'll issue the finish because it's not a clean finish. Yeah. It's also a confusingly not clean finish because the referee just DQs him for stuff he did after the match was over. He's called
0: the double count out. But then, because Dr. Death continues just trying to beat up Ron Simmons, he says, no, I'm calling it a disqualification no, yeah. for you. So technically, Ron Simmons wins the match. If they ever talked about things like fighter's purse or something like that, that would matter. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the winner getting more money or something, that would matter. But since it doesn't, it's always a weird thing to see the decision switched in that particular way. Right.
2: The match is over, because they're still fighting... He's being retroactively penalized, something that happened after the match? Is it bad sportsmanship? I think that's the idea. Yeah. Rummy, because you took notes, is who was the ref for the Vader-Rhodes, uh, that match?
0: That is Mike Atkins.
2: Okay, so it's not Nick Patrick then? No. Okay. I was just thinking, based on this ruling, what Nick Patrick would have done with that match, with Vader attacking his own partner after the match, yeah. shouldn't have been penalized somehow for that?
0: Well, maybe... You'd rule that you can't DQ them because you'd also be punishing Dustin Rhodes. He's faultless in that.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just saying, rules got to be consistent. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. But in yeah, no, overall, like, the match is a lot better than I was going to be. They made made something really good out of this, except for the fact that there's no ending because there's no ending.
1: Yeah. I like this match a lot, actually. There's very few people that I think is more scary than uh, Dr. Death. <laughs> but, yes, like, understandable. Like, Simmons, to me, I was like, he was like, I felt, you know, even though the Dr. Death, story-wise, was more domineering and overpowering and everything and controlled the match, I really thought that Simmons answered in every way. hmm If Muda and um, Chono, <laughs> if they had even half the intensity that they had during this match, it would be such a better match back yes. then. But back yeah. to this match. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like the interplay that they had, where they both said, "Let's do some football and some of the exercises and stuff to change it up, just to work themselves up." I know it's the heavyweight championship, but everything did have weight to it. Like yes. it was not like Vader throwing you across the <laughs> the um, the mat or the, the you know, carrying people across. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or Sting picking up Liger and running them across. But it was one of those things where, like, if they had like little animations going on like they haven't done that yet but i know that there will be wrestling eventually when they have little emoticons doing stuff (laughs) like it's a comic book they would have had like thunder and lightning crashing and stuff it was good i enjoyed it i think there was bits where like you know neither competitor was actually pulling things they were actually probably just punching (laughs) yes (laughs) because you actually see dr death sometimes just holding his hand it's like wait wait hold on (laughs) Just, just take it easy one spot where uh, Dr. Death pulls uh, Simmons down by the back of his hair was especially powerful. Like, he, he popped right back up and was in his face, and I enjoyed yeah. that. Mm. This was a good match. I enjoyed it. Even though it ended indeterminately or, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or retroactively DQing, I still think that my props go to um, Simmons. Yeah. Sure. Yeah,
0: move-wise, I thought this was fairly basic, but story-wise, this was quite good. I really, really liked, like you guys were pointing out, the massive change in atmosphere over the course of the match. It starts off so friendly with the two like really having fun with their they're like, We're both football guys, yay! But Doctor Death's dark side shows itself and then the match gets really, really aggressive. It reminded me a lot of Flair versus Sting from the end of Starkade eighty nine. Yeah. In that regard, so the match's central story of Simmons leg injury worked really well. He kept trying to fight back, but Dr. Death could just sneak in a hit on the leg and down he'd go. I pretty much always loved that concept in the match, and it really, really made me want to see Simmons get back at him. Unfortunately, we kind of get there, but don't get all the way. I really enjoyed Simmons' comeback and definitely his spine buster, but the double countout finish is just really flat. I did like that they kept fighting afterwards, but it was kind of odd to see Dr. Death actually try a pin. I guess he just never heard the bell. I don't know. <laughs> I'm guessing they were aiming for another match, but with the storyline of this one, I really would have liked them to just make this one story complete instead. Just give Simmons the win, and you've got a good self-contained story. As it is, really fun match, but really bad ending.
2: Yeah. And to say this is the way you, ta- you sum up the ending, where they're fighting after the countout, and Ron Simmons attacks him, and then goes to pose. Makes him kind of look like a dick, I would say, maybe. Yeah. Because he's like, yeah, and actually, out. hey, you are you doing? Just cheering. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, so bit, I yeah, I won. I won, yeah.
0: Yeah, there's not quite enough of a break there where it seems like it's really done. It's more like Simmons clearly recognizes the match is over. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, okay, get off me, and shoves him into the post and then goes in to do what's expected of a champion after the match. And Dr. Death just is like... What? I never heard a bell. <laughs> and goes in
2: and continues trying to win the match, I guess. It's like the overly cocky guy and playing a wrestling game. Yeah. Do like a super kick and then just do a full super elaborate pose. Yeah. And then gets get gets in the face because, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <A> down.
0: <laughs> Overall, I, I really enjoyed the actual match. And the ending doesn't ruin it for me. But I felt like you were so close to having just like a perfect self-contained story. And I'm not sure why you didn't do that since you know, this was a replacement match anyway, you might as well.
2: So. Yeah. Yeah, so two days later at a house show on December 30th, they have a world title match between Ron Simmons and Vader, and Vader wins. Oh. No. Yeah. So there's definitely no follow-up to this.
0: Yeah, that's sad that they didn't give Simmons one more win then.
2: Mm-hmm. Incidentally, that match, they recap it on the January 1st, I believe it is, WWE Saturday Night, also the last one currently on the network. Hmm. But they technically have 1993 on there, and that they have the first show 1993, <laughs> and that's it. So if you actually do want to see the match, it is on the network. We have to go to the Hidden gem section, then search 1992, and then to the very end. Oh, okay.
0: That might be a neat match to watch, because Simmons can do some really good hard-hitting offense, and Vader is Vader. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Jesse gets very peeved about the uh, change in ruling. And we go to an ad for Super Brawl 3, a more complete ad this time. It's a bunch of action shots set to rock music, but both video and music are interrupted occasionally to show parts of the title and the date. I found the ad really, really irritating because of that. It's just like start and stop, start and stop, start and stop. And I know they think it's like highlighting it, but mm-hmm. it's like, oh, j- just do something.
2: <laughs> yeah, I see that.
0: I did like the one bit where they really quickly loop a shot of Rick Rude with, still with his mustache getting booted in the face, though. That was pretty
1: funny. <laughs> <laughs> they should play last year's commercials. Those are good. Yeah.
0: I was I was going to ask, <laughs> did this one make you wish that you were watching the uh, Super Brawl show instead, like the last couple commercials Or
1: Oh, for sure. Still had that effect? I think they should just play that every time. Oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tony
0: and Larry Zbyszko discuss the story of the tag team title match, and we see footage of Wyndham beating up Douglas and Steamboat with a chair. They've got the audio turned up a little too loud on the footage, so it's kind of hard to decipher Larry's comments during that. <laughs> we also get footage of a brawl on WCW Saturday night. Tony asks that the animosity that Wyndham and Pillman showed in their earlier match tonight might hurt their chances now. Larry says that they'll come together. They're professionals, and they know what they have to do to win. He says if there's going to be a weak link in a team, it's going to be Shane Douglas. So our seventh match is Barry Windham and Fly-In Brian Pillman versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Shane Douglas for Steamboat and Douglas's Unified World Tag Team Championships. The referee for this match is Randy Anderson.
2: So obviously we went over the beginning of the show about how the shooting thing about how they created the WCB title and then brought back the NWA title. This is a little better the way they handled this because we do have two separate tag titles. I think we only two since they got rid of the U.S. tag titles after last year. <laughs> <laughs> but it's weird why they bother having two titles when there's only one champion for both of them anyways. Yeah. They had to carry two belts each. I don't quite understand that. Hmm. you hmm. unified the titles under one person but not... They didn't make them just a single belt. Nope, you gotta carry both around. They don't melt
1: them down at the end of the match and then make a new belt forged.
2: No, that that probably happens next
0: year. Like Sting's yeah. ring.
1: No, they'll win the titles tonight and then you know next Starcade we'll give them
0: the. Hey, your belts. tag
2: titles, bro.
1: <laughs> We'd never see him put on the ring. There might only be one ring. <laughs> it's entirely possible.
2: <laughs> yeah, but the other part of it is that as part of the tournament, Wyndham was mad that. Dustin Rhodes, who was his partner at the time, didn't win. Basically, it was the you're not acting heelish enough thing. Mm-hmm. So he turns on Dustin, which is animosity for later in the show right. when they're in the battle bowl. Similar thing happens with Pillman. He becomes a bad guy, mad as partner. So they're sort of unified in their hatred of other people. Oh, okay.
0: And obviously, uh, Wyndham and Pillman have been taking very heelish moves to soften up Steamboat and Douglas earlier, beating up during interviews and stuff like that. So. Oh, Yeah. Oddly, as they come out for the match, it's announced with a time limit of TV time remaining, which is really weird for a pay-per-view.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's still on TV, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's
0: like, what were you going to do if this went too long? You're going
2: to not show the King of Cable match? I'd be sad about that. Are you implying that a WWE show would go off the air with uncompleted because they ran too long? Definitely
0: definitely not. That would never happen.
2: Good, good. Such a
0: professional company.
2: Absolutely.
1: Are you getting a feeling of premonition, John?
0: Yes, but (laughs) at
2: least
1: flash a synopsis at the like for like 10 seconds. Oh, yeah, there you go. (laughs) This is what happens. Wyndham and Hillman come out to Wyndham's
0: song, entitled He's Smokin', while Steamboat and Douglas come out to Steamboat's song, entitled Family Man. (laughs) We are finally in the era where everyone is getting songs with actual lyrics. He's smoking is definitely one of the uh, sound-alike songs. Mm. It's a little bit of Boston's smoking in there, but there was another song that I couldn't place. I'm not, not sure what else it sounded like to me. I'm not sure if Family Man is ripping anything off. There's maybe a little bit of Funky Town in the rhythm at points, oddly enough, but the lyrics are absolutely amazing. Go on. Fame and fortune, titles he's won, but the biggest
2: smile is for his son. Oh <laughs> It's so wonderfully cheesy. Given that trigger steamboat, I'm I'm kind of sad it's Family Man, not Dragon Man. Yeah, yeah. Or Family Dragon. Family Dragon. That's like a really weird sitcom title. Coming soon to ABC, yeah. Or in anime,
0: most likely.
1: (laughs) Hey, you know, like, they have a family that lives in America, and they still have ancestral gods. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And they ask him for favors.
2: Yeah. Yeah, the wacky mismatched couple, except instead of being, like, you know, a fat guy, he's a dragon.
1: Yeah. Maybe they take Game of Thrones characters and they put them in a modern-day sitcom. Brilliant. Book it. Here's a million dollars. Make it. Yes.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I'm really glad we're into the theme songs with lyrics now. They are wonderfully ridiculous. So, since they're holding unified titles at the moment, as you mentioned, Douglas and Steamboat have two belts each. Steamboat also has a black G with dragon emblazoned in green and red on the back. It looks really cool. And his tights have a dragon running along them, too, which is really nice. It's a much more elaborate outfit than we've seen from him in the past. has a lot more uh, open character about it.
2: Yeah, because last year it was just like white pants.
0: Just like white pants, yeah. He's just been in very basic wrestling outfits to this point. But now it's like, oh, yeah, I'm the dragon. I'm going to tell you that. Steamboat and Douglas have a nice little team pose worked out. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, someone in the crowd holds up a sign. Dustin, if my groin was hurt, would you pin me? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, are, are we talking from the standpoint of a match, or do you think that's just something Dustin Rhodes would just come over and do?
2: I'm not, I'm not sure on that. I, I guess you'd want to, you know, lay down if that happened to you. And yeah, yeah.
0: So to maybe leave you the pressure? Maybe. I don't know. It was a weird sign. Steamboat yells at Wyndham, and Douglas and Pillman start off. Rapid wrestling and strikes, and Pillman tries a crucifix takedown, but Douglas slips free for punches. Pillman gets frustrated and chokes Douglas on the ropes. The two run the ropes, and Douglas hits a drop kick to knock Pillman to the ramp. Wyndham runs in, but Steamboat cuts him off, and Douglas and Steamboat double dropkick Wyndham, then double punch him, then double back body drop him. <laughs> Lots of double moves there. <laughs> Wyndham rolls out, and Pillman goes to check on him. Back in, Wyndham demands the tag, then demands Steamboat, and gets both. They trade blows, and Steamboat hits a massive jumping chop and a double chop. Wyndham tries for a tag right away, but Steamboat drags him away and trades off with Douglas to keep Wyndham down. The Wyndham almost gets free with a mighty rotating back suplex. Steamboat knocks him outside the ring with a clothesline, then follows him out for a very safe body slam on the floor. Steamboat takes good care of him there on the hard surface.
2: Yes, because it is worth note. I don't think we mentioned it, but there are no mats.
0: Yeah, one of Watts' other changes to WCW was you guys don't need mats on the outside of the ring. Your your men. You can take it.
2: Yeah, in my day, we didn't have them.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. That's how you keep those careers nice and long. <laughs> yeah.
0: Wyndham does come up with stuff all over his back. I think it was probably Johnny B. Bad's confetti, maybe? Uh, yeah. I can't picture if it's the right side of the ring or not, but... Douglas slams him on the ramp, too, before Steamboat brings him back in. Jesse points out that they're not just trying to win. They want to hurt Wyndham for revenge. Wyndham finally escapes with a jawbreaker on Douglas and falls backward to tag Pillman, Perfectly executed, he doesn't even actually look.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Pillman keeps control, but gets overeager and gets caught charging as Douglas vaults him onto the apron, then dropkicks him off into the barricade. Back in, Douglas goes up top, but Wyndham distracts him, and Pillman dropkicks Douglas off the top rope, down to the floor. Really crazy bums. Wyndham clotheslines him down, and Douglas gets to wear some confetti too. Douglas gets back in, but Pillman and Wyndham trade off demolishing him, distracting Ref Randy Anderson for each other to cheat. Wyndham hurls Douglas outside, and Douglas's foot catches the railing, so he crashes down hard on his backhand head.
2: Ow! Did not look fun. Though.
0: No. Mm. Wyndham goes out for some punches, but Steamboat has enough, and races around to nail Wyndham with a chair. Jesse decries such tactics, as JR tells us the ref was busy with Pillman. I was confused by that, because he's distracting him from seeing the legal man fight the legal man, but I'm guessing he was probably trying to stop a count-out.
2: Yeah, like that, probably.
0: Maybe. Wyndham and Pillman double-team Douglas, even choking him on the ropes, but Douglas counters a Wyndham suplex and hits a big punch before falling back to finally tag Steamboat, it's not quite as good as Wyndham's Douglas had to look. Steamboat hits both with drop kicks, double chops, and slams, but Wyndham stops him with a giant power slam, and Pillman and Wyndham take back over. Pillman uses Douglas to distract the ref, so he can throw Steamboat over the top rope, and Wyndham smashes Steamboat into the post. Back in, Steamboat fights back, but Pillman counters a tilt-a-whirl slam into a head scissors in an amazing spot. It gets two. Wyndham into land strikes, and Steamboat keeps asking for more. Wyndham cuts off an initial comeback, but a hard side kick to the face and a bulldog turn the tide. And Steamboat gets his own falling tag to Douglas as Pillman tags Wyndham. Douglas runs wild on both heels with strikes and slams. Steamboat fights Wyndham while Douglas back body drops Pillman, and Jr. says he went in a couple of zip codes on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Steamboat crossbodies Wyndham, and himself, to the ramp. Douglas hits a belly-to-belly suplex and goes for the pin, and Steamboat stops Wyndham just in time, catching him literally as he's diving over the ropes so that Douglas can get the pin. Steamboat and Douglas hug and do their team bows to celebrate their win. Jesse says it was a great match, and it's a shame that one team had to lose.
2: It was definitely a really solid match. Steamboat, at this point, has not been a letdown the worst you can do with Steamboat is put him in a confusing two-ring battle royale, where you get the <laughs> thrown over one rope, not the other ropes. And even then... Yeah, he still had some of the best moments in that, didn't he? Yeah, even so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really the most you can handicap him, at least so far, in our experience watching these. I guess my issue was it was kind of like it was a little too long. The match was definitely longer than the previous matches. Mm-hmm. Not to say there wasn't of like content, it wasn't like, you know, it was two, three minute holds or anything. It's definitely not going on, but there's definitely a point where it's you knock God on the outside, you fight some more, knock on the outside again. There's not enough variety, I think, if you're like because the, they stretched it so far. Mm-hmm. The thing about those bumping So I think they mentioned in commentary at some point during that match, they said the Omni is normally a hockey arena. Yes. So they put particle board on there. They're hitting particle board over ice, apparently.
1: Oh, that would give some, have some give. Yeah, more than ice.
2: Yes. So I think what's coming off on of them when they roll around is the residue on particle board. Yeah, maybe. It's just sort of thrown maybe. over there. And obviously, previous show at the Omni, that particle board is still there, but there's also a mat over it. Yes. So you don't, just don't see that stuff.
4: Hmm.
2: Knowing wrestling the way I do in more recent times, it's interesting seeing young babyface in peril Shane Douglas. Yes. Basically post 1995, I'll say, maybe 94. He never plays that character ever again. For the rest yeah. of his career. He makes a solid turn to be, I'm just a dickhead heel. That, already he with still else today, I think, if he still wrestles. Obviously, he has to start somewhere, but it's weird seeing him like that to me. Yeah, it's
0: unexpected.
2: This is not the visual I think of him. It's interesting seeing him do the belly to suplex. I thought he did that one actually quite well. Mm-hmm. I remember watching a lead-up to a previous show, which he apparently didn't make the cut for. The year after Magnum T.A. has retired. They get a point that he had trained in a Magnum TA and he's in the suplex in his honor. Do they mention Magnum TA at they, all? Yeah,
0: they meant someone says Magnum TA would have been proud of that there suplex. There we go, okay. Yeah.
2: So they, okay, I not remember they mentioned that or not. The damage is interesting because basically the heels make the faces basically steamboat. So mad that he wouldn't do things he wouldn't normally do. It's interesting, but, I don't know, it wasn't my favorite story they could have done with that.
1: Hmm. <sighs> the match had a lot of things going like yes <laughs> if we channeled the camera work of previous stargates and put it into the storyline of this match <laughs> <laughs> because there was all the commentary about oh the ref was distracted or whatever like forget the ref i was distracted because like there wasn't a point where something wasn't going on or like the non-legal man was moving around the outside getting ready to do the next mm-hmm. thing more than a handful of times all four were in the ring There's a segment in the very beginning where it's like literally like five moves double team. You know. Yes. Which looked cool, don't get me wrong. But it was just it was a nice change up from some of the other matches of the night. It's very unique compared to all the matches of the night, but I could not follow it. It was I was just Okay. Each person I think had a, a moment to shine, I think, which was nice. Although in the very beginning there's one drop kick where it clearly doesn't connect, and one of the people just jump out outside. <laughs> <laughs> it was like at least a foot uh, away mm. from actually connecting, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> it's literally like maybe 25 seconds in or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Steamboat, I, I really enjoyed when he did two versus one, where uh, he was just chopping them down and then doing power slams. That's not what I really associate Steamboat with. Like, I, I want to see him run along the ropes. You know, I want to see him do some flying over people. Sure. Yeah. But I still enjoyed it. You know, there were some really solid moves. They had two matches going at one point—one battling it out on the ramp and the other teammates are on the inside. You know, it was all over the place. A lot of intensity. I enjoyed it. But I'm not even certain what happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you said like taking the camera work and putting it at the match. The
0: moment you said that I was like, I know exactly what that means. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yep. That's a perfect description of it. I loved this one. Absolutely love this one. Um, Like you were saying, John, everyone gets a chance to shine in it. I thought it all blended together for my purposes into a really excellent match. Douglas surprised the heck out of me, doing a great job as face in peril for much of the match. He gets in little spots of hope, but he's otherwise just beaten around the ring and quite viciously. It still never feels one-sided in the way that the Liger stuff does earlier. Mm -hmm. He just always felt like he was a heartbeat away from getting pinned, but also a heartbeat away from making the tag. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a really great intensity to the match, and you can feel Douglas and Steamboat's need to get even with Wyndham in particular. They fight Pillman, but they fight Wyndham way harder. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I really enjoyed Wyndham's performance here. He looked tough and brutal, but also had some amazing moments like that tag where he doesn't even look. It's like (laughs) he knows exactly where he is at all times. It's really, really good there. Everybody tried to imitate that moment, but nobody did it quite as well. Steamboat had all the precision and grace that we expect of him, but a lot of character here too, really showing his anger and frustration in a way that I don't remember seeing from him before. It was pretty neat. Absolutely perfect time on the ending. Wyndham and Steamboat play it just right, so it's absolutely clear that Wyndham would have made it just in time to stop the pin, if not for a last second lunge by Steamboat. They could not have done that any better there. The one complaint that I've got is that nothing much seems to come of the earlier night storyline of, Wyndham and Pillman having tension between them. That's true. That seems a little wasted, but the match itself is absolutely brilliant. And it's the fifth tag, tag match I'm watching on this show too, and I love it. So that should tell you how good I thought it was. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I was trying to think what, when I was talking about how there's so much going on to try to track, like what it remind me of. And it reminded me, there's an episode of Futurama where Zoidberg goes to Hollywood and his uncle makes a movie. The uncle keeps adding stuff to the movie and he thinks none mm-hmm. of that's happening. Harold Zoid. Thank you. Yes, Harold Zoid. They show a bit where like people are talking in the front of the camera, in the background people are running back and forth throwing pies at each other. <laughs> never. The background is super distracting. It's <laughs> my best comparison for yeah for that. Okay. I, I just
1: I just didn't have the words to describe the amount of action that was happening. Yeah.
2: Oh, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Timo and Douglas would hold the title for a little while. They would lose him around March, I believe. What's notable is that they don't lose them on pay-per-view. And they don't lose them on Saturday night. They lose them on WCW Power Hour.
1: (laughs) And not in January. So that's important. No,
2: they made it past January. Okay, good. The only champion so far to make it past there, yeah. Yeah. On this show, anyways. This is also the last storycade where we have the unified belts, by the way. Mm -hmm. They are ununified, which I guess is a word.
0: (laughs) Divided. That's far too sensible of a word, John.
2: Yeah, ununified much better. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's the last time they appear, and it's the last time we will see them going forward in Starcade at all in WWE, They never revert back to having NWA tag titles.
1: Yeah, I, I'm sad to hear that they were de <laughs> mm-hmm. And
2: in fact, I had looked it up. After they are separated, the NWA tag titles are vacant until 1995. Wow. Two years go by, and they're like, oh, yeah, we don't have tag champions. Let's do a tournament. <laughs>
1: Well, they have a lot of tag matches, so it's probably like good that they're not doing that on a regular basis. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I do have another note. It's separate from this last match, but I figured now they're past the title matches worth noting. Okay. Battle bowl, fully random drawing, with the exception of Sting. If you notice though, every challenger for a title is in Battle Bowl, but no champions are in Battle Bowl. Good point, yeah. What are the odds? Yeah, interesting. Tono's not in there, Steamboat and Douglas aren't in Battle Bowl, and Ron Simmons is in Battle Bowl. Yeah, true. Yeah. Every challenger is in Battle Bowl.
1: Hmm. Why is this weird?
0: Well, just because it's a, it's a random drawing, oh. supposedly.
2: Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah.
0: Just so happens that that didn't happen.
2: And it would be less notable if, say, Buddha wasn't in Battle Bowl, and there'd be one person to break the streak. Yeah. Or if Pillman wasn't, but Wyndham was. Yeah. But no, every single challenger for a title is in Battle Bowl, Yeah, too. so
0: the challengers have a real disadvantage there. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Though to be clear, we mean the Lethal Lottery, not Battle Bowl itself, since Pillman didn't make it to Battle Bowl. So yeah, Jesse says that Magnum TA would have been proud of Douglas's belly-to-belly suplex. There we go. JR goes over the history between Big Van Vader and Sting, including Vader splashing Sting and Sting hitting Vader with a giant plank of wood hard enough to snap it in two. Jesse points out that Vader also took the world title from Sting earlier
2: this year. That's true. So we're at the King of Cable tournament final now. The King of Cable tournament was announced to celebrate 20 years of WCW slash JCP being on cable. So to celebrate the 20th anniversary, they had more wrestling matches, which I guess, that's how you celebrate wrestling anniversaries wrestling matches and all yeah yeah
1: not knowing this i was expecting one of those specialty like strap match or <laughs> <so laughs> they like they're actually tied together by a cable
2: oh that oh
0: that would have made sense yeah i got i get you but that's okay yeah were you relieved when that wasn't the case no no you still have a little bit of hope that when they do that it's
1: more like roddy pipers yes something has to replace that
2: I could see, I could see that doing done now with like a thirty-foot-long HDMI cable wrapped around, put <laughs> together,
1: gold-plated. Yeah, there
2: you go. Oh, of course. Yeah. So, last longer. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: The king of cable was an eight-man tournament, all leading up to this final match. We had Vader besting Tony Atlas, Dustin Rhodes besting the Barbarian, Rick Rude besting Barry Windham, and Sting besting Brian Pillman. In semifinals, Vader beat Dustin Rhodes and Sting. Beat Rick Rude. Now it's time for the final match to determine the King of Cable. So the last of the matches before Battle Bowl tonight is... Big Van Vader with Harley Race versus Sting for the King of Cable trophy. The referee is Mike Atkins. As he enters, Vader is oddly enough wearing a bandana over his mask. It's a really odd look. As he comes down the ramp, Vader shouts out, It's time to go to war! And he gets in the ring and tries to just go ahead and claim the trophy.
2: Confidence, I guess? I mean, why wouldn't you?
0: Yeah. Sting walks out and he looks apprehensive. It's very sedate for Sting. No uh, big energy and calling to the crowd or anything. He's just looking at the ring clear he knows what he's about to get into. Sadly, while we're in the lyrical theme songs era, we don't yet have the awesome Man Called Sting song. But soon. Soon. Jesse pokes fun at Vader's muscle pose. He says, not a lot of definition, but plenty of mass. I hope Vader didn't hear him for his sake. (laughs) Vader does his Vader sign at Sting, and Sting just stares him down. JR says that Sting's strategy is to survive until Vader tires himself out, but that's easier said than done. Jesse says Vader will try to get Sting angry so he gets careless and Vader can take him out. Vader just ignores Sting's punches and yells, No pain! No pain! Vader tosses Sting around, but takes his time and poses. Sting charges, Invader takes him down with double forearms, the military presses him, and drops him on the top rope. Twice. Sting rolls out, and Jesse suggests that Sting's just, you know, take a count out so he can come back and win Battle Bowl. Sometimes it's smart to be a quitter, he says. <laughs> Such an inspiration.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's nothing he was a navy seal. I guess I assume that wasn't as mindset back then.
0: No, probably not.
2: <laughs> I would hope.
0: Back in, Sting dodges clotheslines and knocks Vader down with a cool forward flip kick. Race looks stunned. Sting hits an enziguri and a picture perfect German suplex, just beautiful. A clothesline spills them outside and Vader loses his mask, sucking wind. Race checks on Vader so Sting dives over the top rope to hit both and the crowd loses their minds at that. But Vader gets right back up.
2: Poor Harley Race keeps getting beat up. (laughs) I'm retired guys, (laughs) Stop doing that.
1: I really like Sting's Stinger call, and and he's beating his chest after that yes too. Yeah, that was great.
2: It was, yeah.
0: Back in, forearm strikes literally knock the paint off of Sting. They do. Sting dodges a splash, but Vader boots him right in the face on his own Stinger splash. In midair.
2: Mm hmm. Ah. Yeah.
0: Sting manages a DDT and a super DDT off the top rope, and that gets two and a half. Sting gets the Scorpion Deathlock, but Vader makes the ropes. Vader scoots outside, leans on the barricade, and Sting comes in for a Stinger splash, but Vader dodges and Sting eats Barricade. Vader goes back in, since he can win this quote unquote title by count out, but Sting comes back in, and Vader beats the hell out of him. Oh yeah. Clothesline, splashes, punches, a great stalling back suplex and a splash gets two, and Vader swears. A seated abdominal stretch into a clothesline gets two, so Vader tries another clothesline, but Sting catches his arm and swings around to lever him over in a backslide for two. Really nice and smooth there. A sunset flip nearly gets Sting killed as Vader leaps up and tries to sit down on him, but Sting dodges. <laughs> yeah. Vader knocks Sting reeling with punches, but Sting lands a back suplex, but he's so exhausted that Vader is up first. That's just gotta be plain depressing, Jesse says. <laughs> <laughs> Vader even gets a two-count off of it.
2: Yeah, I that. that was pretty good.
0: Vader gets Sting in the corner and smashes him with forearm blows. Sting tries to protect himself, but Vader just smacks his arms aside on the way to his head. Vader pummels Sting, and he stumbles around the ring just trying to keep any kind of guard up. At last, Vader hefts Sting to the top turnbuckle and climbs up, but takes too long, and Sting lands a thumb to his eye and punches to knock Vader down. Sting slumps down, and Vader is again up first. Vader keeps landing forearms, but he's tiring. Sting yells, come on, and Vader obliges, but Sting is able to stand up to the strikes more and more, just enough that he can fight. Sting lands big haymakers to get Vader reeling, and knocks him flat, then hefts Vader on his shoulders for a Samoan drop. A huge jumping splash off the top gets two, but race distracts Sting for Vader to nail a forearm and choke slam. then splash Sting so hard that he bounces off and rolls away. <laughs> Vader goes up top, and Sting crawls to his knees. Vader jumps, and Sting catches him with a power slam and gets the pin. The crowd has one of the loudest pops that I have ever heard.
2: Oh yeah, for <laughs> sure.
0: Vader, shocked, gets to his feet. Sting has to be helped up by the ref and slumps in the corner.
2: Haas oh, is really, really good. Vader has the complete package here, because mm-hmm. he is the domineering really powerful jerk of a character essentially even little thing i trying to take the trophy before the match started yes. it's really great to interact with him and sting like the bit when sting is challenging him to strike him more and sting's reaction is to put his arms up because he knows he is going to hit him again yes it's really nice but that's a little stuff in there it's impressive that flash fader actually hits but comes off of him remind me weirdly enough of when rob van Dam doing the frog splash
0: yeah not not a comparison you'd expect to be making, right? No, yeah. not
2: at all. <laughs> yeah, because Van Dam's frog splash, he would hit it and like hop up and like basically splash the empty mat like next to them. It's not quite that in the first because you know it's, it is Vader to be fair, but even and even then, you can see he's really mad at himself because he splashed and rolled off because he wanted to splash him to stay there. Yeah,
0: they, the announcers even mentioned, oh, he wanted to. He clearly wanted to stay there, but I think it's Jr. says that's twice he's done that move on someone and that hasn't gone quite right tonight yeah
2: yeah um the most telling thing for me if you look back and watch it of how much they're working on this show but especially just in this match sting clearly has some of his hair gel still active when the match yes. starts by the end his hair is wet yes you would have thought he would just went swimming He sweat through all of his hair gel it's amazing <laughs> to think about in <laughs> the time period the little stuff with vader pops up is really neat. Because Vader does still sell the injury mm-hmm. and it makes it clear that Sting can throw him around. They work so many little things in there, like when he does someone drop, we notice they fall where Vader's foot is already on the rope, so he can't even try to pin him. Mm, yeah. Because they could have not done that, and he tries to pin him and kicks out, but they made a point of having it, he can't even try to pin him. Yeah. So you can really sell that he is actually hurting Vader there. hmm. The finish is really nice, too. It does feel like he's cocky and trying to go for one last big move and is countered in mid move and is pinned but clearly sting suffers the worst for the match yeah it's really good
1: what a crazy match (laughs) (laughs) you know you know i love sting i would say that by the end of this match i think i care a lot more about vader He's been in other matches tonight and has done a lot of great things. And I was curious how the interaction would be between Sting and Vader because they are two different things Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. entirely. It is really impressive when Sting picks him up, especially as winded as he is later on and carries him on his back. And you know some of those things like Vader's jumping a little bit. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But even so, there was a lot of over-the-rope clotheslines and jumps. They would have disqualified each other like uh, <laughs> many times over. There's one spot where uh, I think it's like three quarters of the way through. Sting does this triple, like he coils and does a spin and punches Vader. Like yes. one, two, three, which I thought stood out to me for the match because you know it. it I don't know. It's just not something you see a lot. Of the crowd was very reactive to it. It felt powerful when Vader went down. Yes. <laughs> It was a turning point for him after being tossed around like a ragdoll for so long. There's also another point when, um, I don't know the name of the submission move, but Vader has Sting locked up and has one arm behind him and one around his neck, and then he just grabs his face and torques it. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) God. Yeah. It looks so bad. I was like, man, you can fake stuff, but it looked like it was very painful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Great match. I was not expecting the power slam at the end, but it was a pleasant surprise.
0: Yeah, this, this was one of the best matches that I have ever seen. Oh. And one of the finest matches, I think, for both men. Both brought their absolute best here. Even more amazing, considering they both had a match before this, and they're both going to be in Battle Bowl as well. But they held absolutely nothing back. Sting pulled out moves I have never seen from him in matches before or since. Mm-hmm. Just laying everything out here. Big spots, big hits, great variety. I could feel the desperation in Sting's performance. Even when he had an advantage, it felt fleeting. Vader could just stand up from anything. He's an unstoppable monster. Vader was unmatched in brutality. And Mm. Sting sold it like an absolute champ. (laughs) Watching him just stumble around the ring, trying to keep his guard up, but unable to stop the blows from landing, I was on the edge of my seat. The transition to Vader punching himself out was gradual and subtle. It didn't feel like a Superman comeback. Sting could just finally stay up just well enough to fight back. So it was a really carefully crafted match story here, and I thought it came off perfectly. Both guys came out looking great. Sting's strategy works, even if it looks dicey for a while, and he beats Vader with a plan rather than being able to overwhelm him with power or speed. If you're a wrestling fan, you owe it to yourself to see this match. Absolutely brilliant.
2: We were talking in the previous Sting match, in the Battle Bowl, about how we were disappointed there wasn't enough Liger stuff. That sort of flipping kick thing that Sting does, that's a Liger kick. Yeah, exactly. That is Liger's move. Yeah. Yeah. And he does it well. No, yeah, he does, absolutely. (laughs) Jumping is his forte, clearly.
1: Yes. I like that at some point there's some foreshadowing from JR. He's talking about rope-a-dope. Like Sting is just trying to endure. He's just nodding his head, taking the punches. (laughs) They lay out
0: what the match's storyline is going to be at the start. JR talks about what Sting's strategy is going to be. Jesse says what Vader's is going to be. And you clearly see that story going through this match. It's one of the most solid combinations of everything from the wrestlers to the announcers. To, you know, It combines, I think, perfectly. This is an absolutely exceptional match and one of the best matches I've ever seen. I'm not just talking about matches I've watched for the show
2: here. Mm. Out of all the matches I've seen, this is among the best. Nice. Even if Sting wasn't like a really good babyface, which obviously he is and was, Vader makes that work so well. Yeah. You could take someone who's not as good at that sort of character stuff. She managed to copy them out exactly the same, which I know is tricky. But if you remember that Vader's part in a way is the same way, and you had someone who I've talked about before, like Tara Taylor, for instance, who's a very good wrestler, just doesn't have that sort of extra character thing. I feel like if he was in the same situation, you'd be like, man, Terry Taylor's really fighting for his life out there, dude. Yeah. Really connect to that story. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. Yeah. Takes to both sides of that. When Vader lifts him up and drops him on the rope the first time, oh, like, God. that looked controlled but painful. The second time, he almost looked like he was trying to throw him out of the ring. <laughs> and things sort of puts his hands down to stop himself. I don't know how much that was accidental or perfect, but it worked.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Just super, just amazing match.
2: I I do love that Sting sweats through all his hair gel in yes. the course of the match. It's a great visual.
0: <laughs> he looks battered and exhausted by the end of it, and that's totally
2: legit. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
1: I really like what happens afterwards. I don't know if that's what we're getting to, but when mm-hmm. Ventura comes out, and like the first thing Sting says, he compliments Vader. He's like, I yeah. took a, a beating. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah. Vader and Sting's feud would reignite at their most infamously promoted match at Super Brawl. Yes. Which we'll get to in the Super Brawl Oh yeah In fact, that really sums up Vader's 1993 career as a whole Badly promoted, but really good matches Yep More on those than we get to the actual shows, though
0: Yeah Jesse comes to the ring to present the King of Cable trophy to Sting
5: What a, what a contest! Sting and Vader hammering each other Let's go up for the presentation of the trophy With Jesse the body Ventura I'll tell you what, Stinger, I was a doubter. I didn't think it could be done. I didn't think you could win the King of Cable against that monster Big Van Vader. But I stand corrected. That was one hell of a match and one hell of a victory. Congratulations. Well, I came out with a win, Jesse, but it was also one hell of a butt-kicking that I took. I'll have you know. Well, you earned that trophy. Thank you very much. I just have one thing to say. One left. One thing left tonight, and that's Battle Bowl to make it a complete night two years in a row. Unbelievable! If he can come back and win that trophy and win Battle Bowl, that'll be a feat beyond belief. Let's go to my colleagues now, Tony Schiavone and Larry the Cruncher Zabisco!
0: Yeah, like you said, John, Sting does a terrific job there of Still selling the match. He sounds completely exhausted. And like I said, the first thing he does is say, that was one hell of a butt kicking, you know? (laughs) He he wants to make sure that people know Vader was the toughest opponent that he's faced, basically. That's absolutely amazing. Quiet promo, but totally acknowledges the brutality of what he just went through. And it feels real to me. Sting is glad to have won, but he's just trying to have something, anything left for Battle Bowl. Mm-hmm. I feel like that helps Vader's rep even more. Sting won, but he's not crowing about his victory. He's saying what a beating Vader gave him. That's where his mind is. He can't get past the brutality there. So it's a level of brutality that even a hero can't just leave behind him.
1: I like it because it builds up both characters. Yeah. You know, at the
0: Absolutely, same time. Yeah. yeah,
2: it's 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 terrific. It's also nice after a previous show to get a complete ding promo. Yes,
1: he, he
0: actually gets to talk. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's neat when a wrestler manages to get so much across in such a short time because he doesn't talk for long there. What it reminded me of most, actually, in promo style was that very first Starcade where mm-hmm. Ric Flair wins the title yeah. and then has that just like exhausted, thankful promo where he talks to the crowd and everything and it's like, those moments where it really feels genuine. Yeah, yeah. So it was very cool to hear that.
1: Do you know scorpions glow blue over in UV light? Do they?
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, good. Uh, that's what I thought of when I th- saw Sting's face paint and, and uh, <laughs> thing in the beginning. I'm like, yeah, he's, he's in UV light. So that sure was a great end to the show,
0: right? Let's talk about the overall show. We, we good to do th- no, now. Mm. Sorry, Bob. Oh. All right. I, I know we still have to do Battle Bowl. Sorry.
1: Yeah, we do. KFC Battle Bowl.
0: (laughs) Sting leaves with the trophy, and we go to Larry and Tony. Tony says that Sting has to come right back now to compete again, and Larry sells the brutality of the match and says he can't believe that they're coming back for more. Larry says that many things will leave you, looks, money, women, usually when the money does, but that ring is going to be something that you can keep for your life. And we see the ring animation again, and Tony says that we're seeing the ring made, which I guess is kind of right, but that makes it sound like we're watching the real thing, not computer animation. (laughs) We get a video of an interview that Tony did with NFL Hall of Famer Paul Hornig, who shows us his Super Bowl ring. Hornig says people may play for money, but they want to be part of something special to hold on to something that shows that they accomplished something. And that's why the Super Bowl ring means so much. Everybody in Battle Bowl is going to want to win the ring, knowing that it signifies that they're the best. It was a kind of weird thing to talk to someone from a completely different sport, but I, I kind of thought it, it worked okay for building up the concept of the ring.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird as hard late sell on the, how important yeah. the ring is, but yeah, I get what they're going for.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure that they needed it after already mentioning the ring at the beginning of the show, but I don't know, it kind of worked okay.
1: They got to use the animation twice. Yes. And that's how you cast a ring, sort of.
2: <laughs> I guess they could have brought Hank Aaron and the people back out there to present the ring and then wait till the match is over. That could yeah. be better. Yeah, there you go.
1: Could have guest-reft. <laughs> yeah. Those always work out.
0: Yeah, those always <laughs> work out.
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: So now it's time for Battle Bowl. Now, this Battle Bowl has different rules. We have one ring rather than two, and it's single elimination. You get thrown over the top rope and land on the floor, and you're out. It's much simpler.
2: This is our first interaction with Dustin Rhodes and Barry Wyndham. Found their split. The reason why Dustin is wearing cast internally is he was beaten up by Wyndham. Oh, right, okay. Not that it affected him much. He seemed to wrestle just fine with the cast on, but yeah, supposed to be important.
0: The Starcade music starts up again as the participants come down. So we have Dangerous Dan Spivey, the Natural, Dustin Rhodes, The Great Muda, who's reapplied his face paint, Barry Windham, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, Heavy Metal Van Hammer, who has foregone the cowboy hat this time, Big Van Vader, who's put his mask back on with Harley Race, and Sting, who has not reapplied his face paint because he's had, like, I don't know, a grand total little 30 seconds backstage, <laughs> and <laughs> is soaking wet still.
2: <laughs> yeah, we just bleed off of him, honestly. At this yeah. Point.
0: Sting very understandably still looks absolutely exhausted. Yeah. Vader tackles Sting on the ramp right away, and refs Patrick and Atkins try to separate the two. Inside, we get Spivey trying to dump Muta, Dr. Death trying to dump Hammer, and Wyndham beating up Rhodes. Sting gets free and gets in, but Vader dives over the top rope to land right on top of him. (laughs) We briefly get picture-in-picture again, and it's just as useless as last year. (laughs) Vader teams up with Wyndham against Sting. Spivey tries to dump Muda, but Van Hammer saves for some reason.
2: He's not very bright.
0: Yeah. Muda saves Rhodes from Dr. Death and Wyndham, and Rhodes beats up Wyndham and lands a heck of a clothesline. Muda saves Sting from Spivey and Wyndham, and saves Sting from Spivey again moments later. Jesse says that Muda's being a little ridiculous here. Vader chokes Rhodes and batters him with forearms. Rhodes tries to come back with a tackle, and Vader just absorbs it, and Rhodes falls down. <laughs> Spivey finally dumps Sting out, but Sting holds on and rolls in to jump kick Spivey in the face. Rhodes headbutts Vader, and Vader doesn't react and Rhodes falls down again instead. (laughs) Pretty great spot there. Oh, yeah. Sting puts a sleeper on Vader, and Jesse says everyone should really just team up and take Vader out. Van Hammer is first out, courtesy of Dr. Death. Rhodes and Windham go through the middle rope to the ramp, and Rhodes bulldogs Wyndham on there with a great thud.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) That that sounds fun.
0: Later, Sting tosses Spivey over the top rope onto the ramp. There's some confusion, but Atkins rules that Spivey is out and sends him to the back. Uh, I guess there's a question of whether the ramp counts as the floor.
2: Because, I mean, yeah, it's literally not the floor. Yeah, yeah, and last
0: year, being thrown out onto the ramp didn't count. Although that was because the only thing that counted at that point was being thrown into the other ring. So I can understand the confusion there. Yeah, I guess. Dr. Death stomps on Sting, and JR points out that they were partners earlier in the night. Sting repays Muda by saving him from Vader with a Stinger Splash. It had to feel good to finally get to hit that on Vader after missing or to get encountered multiple times. <laughs> yeah. Vader slugs Sting to get him reeling against the ropes, then hits a crossbody that sends both him and Sting out onto the ramp. Again, there's some confusion, but the rule is eliminated. Rhodes chokes Wyndham on the ropes. Well, Dr. Death does the same to Muda in an interesting stereo moment. Rhodes and Wyndham have quite a brawl, and Wyndham bleeds from the nose after a hard shot. So Rhodes kicks him in the face. (laughs) Wyndham gets a DDT and a slam, then climbs up top, but Rhodes throws him down. Jesse questions why he didn't just throw Wyndham out, and JR says that he wants to punish Wyndham more for stabbing him in the the back when they were friends. Is Barry Wyndham also a neurosurgeon, then?
2: Yeah, it's the same guy.
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) Jesse says he should keep it business, not personal, if he wants to win. Rhodes gets his own DDT on Wyndham. Rhodes gets Wyndham on the ropes, but Dr. Death charges up and clotheslines Rhodes out, but falls out himself as well. So our final two are Wyndham and Muda. It's kind of a weird final combo out of all the combinations tonight.
2: Yeah, it is.
0: The crowd chants for Muda, and Wyndham challenges him to a test of strength, then sucker punches him. Wyndham gets a suplex and a float over, but lands punches where he'd normally try a pin. I thought that was a nice way to still use that move, since pins don't count. Yeah. Wyndham gets a superplex and a surprisingly nice dropkick again, and Wyndham tosses Muda over the top. But Muda skins the cat back in, dropkicks Wyndham to stun him, and dropkicks him again to send him out. So Muda wins the battle bowl. Fireworks go off and Muda look kind of startled by him, but he celebrates and bows to the crowd.
2: So yeah, this is definitely a lot easier to follow. Mm-hmm. Obviously there is nearly one-third of the amount of competitors it was last year. Yes. 50% less ring than last year. <laughs>
1: 100% less bear hug. That's true.
2: Point, yes. You didn't have to remind you of a like, two-minute long bear hug <laughs> on yeah. that and Battle Bowl. So yeah, it's definitely an improvement. It's clear that this show in general is Battle Bowl is a feature, but it's not the sole thing. Mm-hmm. Even though it's still called Dark Knight 2 Battle Bowl, it's definitely less of a focus. But to be fair, it is half the show, but it's only half the show, not the yes. entire show. What I think was kind of funny, if you look at it, is... Vader enters the ring charging and diving with the top rope, and he exits the ring diving and charging with the top rope. Point. There's a true. Consistent yeah. circle yeah. of life thing going on there, yeah. <laughs> that my main point, which is that they shouldn't have had the Sting Vader elimination that early. Mm-hmm. I felt like they did that too quickly. It seemed to really pull the crowd out of the match because they were really hyped for Sting, and maybe just for an instant for Vader, having seen him do so well in these matches, especially yeah. after that last match. So once they're gone, it's nothing against Dr. Death, Wyndham, Muda, and Rhodes, but there's a noticeable drop-off, at least in terms of how the fans feel, without those two in there. Mm-hmm. I think you're absolutely
1: right. I think because they had it start on the catwalk, you know, it kind of set the tone. Because <laughs> yeah. that's mm-hmm. the very first thing you see.
2: But yeah, th- that's the problem with the pacing of that, is that the crowd pulled out of the match, but there's still, like, five minutes of match left. A couple of little things in there, like, if you watch... Muda doesn't do the full drop down of the ropes. He's yeah. like halfway up. So he drops down further just so we can just skin the cat back in, which looks a little awkward. He drops his feet closer to being eliminated so they can not be eliminated. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little weird. And it's kind of weird that Wyndham has this big comeback with doing the big moves. And Muda's comeback is dropkick him twice.
0: Yeah. You're
2: like, oh, okay.
0: Thought at least one of them would be his spin kick or something. Yeah,
2: yeah something. I mean, obviously, you can't work in the moonsault into the finish. Couldn't really do the the elbow, but he kind of missed or something interesting. I guess he's the face and doing the missed anymore, I guess. Yeah,
0: probably. Though apparently he is because someone
2: wanted him to spray on their sign, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I was really hoping they would do a full arc with Nuda because in the clips they show before the world title match with him and Chono, you see Kijimudo, his non-face paint persona. So I was kind of hoping going through battle and some some of his face paint off, going through the match getting... Basically, almost all of it warped off by face rubbing and slams and such. I was hoping he'd come out for Battle Bowl as Kichimudo, since face was already gone anyways. <laughs> I was hoping that would be the case, but they did not. In that. <laughs> that would
1: have been a nice twist. Right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Good start? This was a lot better than the last Battle Bowl in the sense that, yeah, there wasn't 20 people and there was a lot less bear hugs. But, <laughs> I was surprised to see it start out the way it did with Sting and, and Vader doing a continuance. I felt that maybe Vader was just a little bit heartbroken from losing the cable match. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what happened. Absolutely, yeah. A lot of great moves. I wasn't expecting Wyndham <laughs> to be one of the final people. Yeah. But he's done a lot of great stuff tonight, so, you know, I'm glad he was still there. Sting and Vader, I, I was for certain they would be in the last four, but that wasn't the case. It was nice mm-hmm. to see. Other people fighting at the end it means a little bit more when you don't have uh, all the big names there. Mm-hmm. Not that anyone's a small name, but you know, like they've had some big matches recently. I'm glad Muda won. The skinning of the cat at the very end was a little weird, but I, I honestly think that it was probably so he could get the torque to actually, you know, pull himself. Oh yeah, up. no,
2: I get it from a standpoint. It's just funny that he drops further down when the risk is being close to the third floor.
0: Yeah, I feel like it, what happens is like he messes up the initial. Toss a little bit, maybe, and accidentally lands on the apron, and so that's why he has to do the slip down. Yeah. But yeah, if he thought fast enough, he probably would have just rolled under the ropes or something instead. Way better than last year. <laughs> <laughs> Only eight men, simpler rules, much easier to follow. It also helped that there were some very clear storylines between some of the men. So Sting spends a lot of time fighting Vader. Road spends a lot of time fighting Wyndham. It gave the match a much better sense of story than last year's. Last year felt more like just a bunch of people randomly brawling. That said, there are some confusing elements. I'm not sure why we get so many bits with people saving other people from elimination. I guess Muda especially does a lot, so I guess he's just a nice guy. The lack of clarity about the ramp really hurts the match. Yeah, The crowd is very confused if Spivey's eliminated, and it also doesn't react much when Sting and Vader go out. I think they were expecting that to be this massive surprised reaction when the last year's winner, Sting, is eliminated. Yeah. But they don't get it. Even though they've been building to that all night, they don't get it because people just don't actually seem immediately clear that Sting is, in fact, out of the match. Yeah. So it's a real shame. I also felt like it took a little bit too long to get to the first elimination. The match overall wasn't that long, though. It's shorter than any of the last three matches. That's true, yeah. I blame Muda. <laughs> point yeah he was saving everybody wasn't he so it's his fault overall though it's a decent enough watch and had a few cool spots that made it worth my time just they needed to be really clear from the beginning that it's the floor or the ramp eliminates you and i think they would have gotten a big reaction there yeah because the crowd would immediately
1: know that that had happened it could have been even cooler if they said the ramp was still in and then staying and invader push each off and they both fall off the ramp yeah if you actually did it as they
0: are still in, and Singh could have gotten back in, and then they uh, knock each other off or something like that. Yeah. yeah,
1: that would have been cool.
0: I can definitely see that.
1: Or even two people in the ring whip them into him and knock them out. Yeah. <laughs> still a major improvement over the previous
0: Battle Bowl.
2: Mm-hmm. So yeah, as I mentioned before, um, Muda would win the NWA title literally a week after this show in Japan. That would lead to him going to the very next show, Super Brawl 3, the one they heavily promoted here. Defending his way title against the man he eliminated from Battle Bowl, Barry Windham. Hmm. So, like last year, there is a direct continuity at least in the finalists, which is nice.
0: Yeah, true. Yeah, that's a good point.
2: Muda is not here for any of the later attempts at reviving Battle Bowl, so I guess he doesn't care about defending his "quote unquote" championship. Yeah, true. And they don't mention the Battle Bowl ring really at all, at least in Muda for sure, or Sting from what I can tell. That super important thing is, I guess, not all that important.
0: JR and Jesse discuss Muda's achievement and the endurance of Muda and everyone else in the match for fighting multiple matches tonight. They build up the STF again as an incredibly painful move to be able to take Muda down in that earlier match. They discuss the Rude situation, and Jesse says that that was a disgrace. JR rolls his eyes and points out that Rude didn't even defend his US title since November, even before the injury. Jesse brushes that off and sympathizes with Rude. JR promotes Super Bowl 3, and we're out. So, when are they handing the ring to Muda? Next Battle Bowl, I guess? Yep.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure uh, Sting has to pass it to him. Oh, okay. <laughs> he does it backstage. There's one ring. Yeah.
2: I think when uh, kids pulled their tickets to get a prize, they split it back and forth, yeah.
1: <laughs> they could have a giant claw machine show up. That would be great. That would be funny. Yeah.
0: All right, guys. Uh, overall thoughts on Starcade 1992.
2: As a whole, it's definitely a stronger show. There's more variety in there. There's not just, here's all these tag matches and this whatever the hell Battle Bowl originally was. (laughs) Because it's a double elimination, double ring, Royal Rumble match. It's it's not really any one thing. It is uncategorizable. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it's a true Dusty Rhodes, unimaginable, like, Smorgasbord of things. Yes. So... Given that, yeah, this show is definitely better. I like that we have title matches on the show. Mm -hmm. I like that they have only four tag matches, and then the Battle Bowl bookends the show, essentially. So there's a break there. I feel like their roster is really thin by having, like I said, every challenger uh, in Battle Bowl, which means all the ones that win their Battle Bowl matches have three matches. Yes. It's very strange. Because they say they have 35 people back there. They only use 11 of them.
0: Well, 16. Oh, excuse me. Well, yeah, yeah. Well,
2: <laughs> they, usually, they say they only use 11 of them. Right. Yes. <laughs> Poor Tom Zink is hanging up back there. It'll be my turn soon, right? <laughs> no? Hey, Sting, you're going back out again? Oh, okay. <laughs> Picture him just ready to go the whole time and seeing people come and go. And it's like, Aww. oh, <laughs> You know, they could have had,
1: like, an extra person. They had everyone that wasn't called in the thing, ring in the beginning and do, like, a quit hyper match, you know, like, yeah. p- pins and over the thing count, and then, like, maybe one or two people actually make it to the battle ball. Yeah.
0: I picture Tom Zink sitting backstage, and, you know, he's watching that uh, bit with Dr. Death and Eric Watson, and he's, you know, he sees that dropkick happen, and he's like, could have told him that wouldn't be possible.
2: <laughs> yep, that's true. <laughs> This is WCW, so what they would actually have done is they would have everyone that didn't get to have a match tonight surround the ring as lumberjacks. Yes!
0: Yes! Haven't had lumberjacks yet. We need that.
2: Yes. And even though the whole point of this match is throw them out of the ring, they are there to throw them back in.
0: Well, yeah, if you, if you get caught before you hit the floor, you can be thrown back in. There so everybody go. has their allies outside the ring.
2: I feel bad for Vader's allies in this situation. <laughs> so do no, I. no, you're good. No, <laughs> sorry. No offense. Or, or, or kill
1: or firemen with trampolines, like a, a la Game & Watch. Yes. It.
2: There you go. Now, I do have a theory that overlapping this show, sort of runs through it. Remembering what happened in the time in between shows, we have the Steiner's both gone due to managerial issues, and we have the whole brick flare and title thing that happened as well. So given that and seeing that we randomly have Kazuki Sasaki on the show, we had the NWA world title match featuring two guys that aren't in the company. Mm-hmm. And we have all these people like Dan Spivey and Dr. Death, who while they have wrestled for WCW, at this point are mostly All Japan, in the case of Spivey, and Death, but New Japan, and other people. I almost feel like this show is some sort of very elaborate bribe and or apology to New Japan in general. Mm-hmm. Because they highly promote the stars, they don't normally promote the fact that Muda wins Battle Bowl. Because they're like, well, you can win Battle Bowl, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything, but... Like it's almost like them mending fences.
1: Yeah, I could see that. Do you think they're trying to gather viewership?
2: Or I think both, that as well, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Partially an apology to the NWA maybe as well. Could be. NWA wants them to work with New Japan because they don't trust WCW on their own.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, I can't find confirmation on this. I didn't like go through and find everyone's RF shoot video and explain it. But I, that's my theory on why, except like these people are randomly on the show, why these matches happen, stuff like that. That's only my explanation for all that.
1: You think they're just trying to fill the roster a little bit, you know?
2: Well, I don't think they needed to, but I mean, that, that's yeah. the thing. Yeah, Muda has three matches on the show, though know, he's not an actual rosterman. That's true. Yeah. It's true.
0: It is surprising, yeah.
1: And they do have 35 in the
0: back.
2: Yes. Paul is back there doing nothing, too. Steve Austin's back there. Yep. Yep. I think Arn's even back there, though. I think Arn's around still.
0: I think so, yeah, at this point.
1: Well, the drawing is random, so who knows? Yeah.
4: That's
0: true.
1: The show had a lot going for it. You got to see Steamboat again. You know, you got to see Muda. I was impressed with Simmons tonight. It wasn't a whole Baskin-Robbins 31 flavors, but there was something for everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Even though it did have several tag matches and several ridiculous things towards the end, like a battle bowl, there was something for everyone. I'm glad they didn't go the same route and made Sting or Vader the winner, the battle bowl. I think it would take away from their match. You know, I, I was happy to see Liger unfortunately I didn't get to see him in the capacity that I, I think he should have been represented it wasn't his day and I think that was more narrative than ability mm-hmm. it was definitely infinitely more watchable than last year it was one of those things where I didn't have to like I had to stop watching <laughs> to get through it
0: yeah yeah I totally get you on that yeah absolutely it could have had better commercials yes
1: <laughs> although it, the commercials did remind me of like maybe video game sounds in it <laughs> Whatever they were doing the super cuts
0: Yes. This
1: was so much better than
0: last year's show. Less matches, given more time to develop, they maintained the overall battleball concept, but it seems like a more developed version. Some of the kinks worked out. I was happy to see more match variety, too. Even if it was just having singles matches on the card as well as tags, it did a lot to break things up. It's kind of weird to think that I'm celebrating a return to, effectively, the Starkade 88 match set when I complained about how many tag matches that show had. But, what a difference a few years make. <laughs> I'm sorry, I will never complain about a mere four or five tag matches again after experiencing ten. <laughs> you don't know if she got till it's gone. Yeah, I'm kidding, I'll totally complain again, but not tonight.
2: <laughs> okay, fair enough.
0: There were some great matches on this show, especially the tag title match and the King of Cable match. The action was good for most of the night, though. Things slowed down a little bit with Muda vs. Chono, but I still feel like I should have liked that more than I did. We got a lot of great character moments from a lot of people, personalities shown through in almost every match. The show felt larger than life, hitting just the right balance of character and athleticism. The commentary team was pretty great. Some bad attempts at jokes aside, Jesse was a great addition, and I appreciated his commentary on holds. He was willing to spend some time explaining how they worked and what they did, and it made the matches easier to understand. JR and Jesse had some really good discussions and just the right amount of tension and JR had some great eye-rolling reactions to his antics at points. <laughs> JR has always been a great announcer, but it felt like Jesse brought more personality out, giving him a lot to react to in a better way than Paulie dangerously tried back at Starcade 90. The interaction felt natural and the arguments were fun. There were some hitches here and there. I'm not sure why we had to do some, some of the team drawings on this show when we'd done some earlier, and I wonder if all those guys backstage who didn't have matches got paid the same or at all. The handling of the ring ceremony was just weird, and it's strange that Muda didn't get his ring on the show after they made such a big deal out of it. I was glad we heard from Sting mid-show, but it actually would have been an interesting interview if they talked to him afterwards, too, since he had an accomplishment and failure the same night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At a ring ceremony for Muda, and an interview with Sting at the end, and I think you've got a really great ending. I think that's the thing overall. I would have liked to still see a little bit more outside of the wrestling. Not much but just quick comments here and there. Battle Bowl is such an unusual concept and such an opportunity. I would have liked to see comments from Wyndham and Pillman, especially, on having to fight each other, then team with each other. Things like that could bring out what makes this idea unique and maybe make it more appealing. I also feel like, even if Battle Bowl was better, the King of Cable match really should have been the final. That was the emotional high point of the night. I kind of felt deflated watching the Battle Bowl match, like, the show should be over, right? I got to see one of the best matches ever. Why is it still going on?
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's a debate with, like, for example WrestleMania 18. Rock and Hogan have their classic match, but it's not main event because it's Chris Jericho on Triple H for the world title. Yeah. And that's to follow that. Yeah, Battle
0: Bull was fine, but it felt like the show was just lingering after it already had its proper finish. And I can kind of understand from a perspective, too, that you know it's going to take a ton out of Sting and Vader to do their King of Cable match. So maybe they thought, oh, wait, if we push that to after Battle Bowl, then they're not going to have enough left to do their match. Mm -hmm. But I wanted that to be it. Yeah, I want I was like, I'm so happy right now. I don't want anything to spoil this. And Battle Bowl didn't. But I was just like, it just kind of is going on. (laughs) Overall, though, really, really good show. Much easier watch than last year. I really enjoyed it. And there's matches here that I am going to come back and watch again and again for sure.
1: Can we talk more about glowing scorpions <laughs>
0: in a minute? Maybe. Okay, good. We got to do our match of the night in MVP first. Al, you want to go first?
2: Sure, why not? Probably guess by the way I react to the match. My match of the night is Sting vs Vader in King Cable Tournament Final. Bob and I had a really time watching that together when we did the actual viewing. I did rewatch it to think maybe you know maybe I'm remembering this stronger as I had the group dynamic, but no, it all just as well the second time. Yep. There's. Definitely some ones that could have gotten close to that level. If certain things had happened, like if the match with Sting, Ligo, and all of them had been rebooked, I could see that the quality of people could have made that stronger. Or even stuff in the Vader's battle match. If certain things here there could have been tweaked, that could have really competed for it. But as a whole package, there's no beating the Sting-Vader match for me. And I really know my MVP is Vader because he's shining in all three matches. And he's Vader. <laughs> All
1: right, John? In theory, I had several that were running for... When I read the docket, uh, or the uh, order, there was three that I was looking for, and that was the Sting, Dr. Death, Eric Watts, and Thunder Liger, just because it had those three in it. The Muda and, and Jono match, because I thought that would be high-flying fun. Neither of them really came, to <laughs> <laughs> yeah. came anywhere where, where I thought they would. I won't say the third one yet, but in watching the Ron Simmons versus Dr. Death was really good. Mm -hmm.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: I'm still going to have to agree with Al. The Vader versus Sting was amazing. Mm -hmm. And I'm also going to say Vader's my favorite for the night just because he did great (laughs) in every single, no, in in every single match, including Battle Mm Bold. He amped it up each match and it was a good conclusion.
2: So even after all that he went through, he still had those two dies in him.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Alright, well, it's three for three on Match of the Night, because unquestionably, without any competition, Sting versus Vader for the King of Cable final is my Match of the Night. I'd call this career-defining for both men. If you want to explain why Sting is such a great babyface, or why Vader is the scariest dude in the universe, you show someone this match. Sting was incredible, Vader was incredible, and the story was perfectly paced and performed exceptionally. This one is not just Match of the Night, it's a clear contender for Match of the Series for me. MVP. I'm going to go with Sting. Vader was brutal and powerful and amazing all night. I totally agree with you guys on that, and he had, like you said, three terrific performances but i think sting had the performance of a lifetime in that king of cable match it took both of them to make that work no doubt yeah but for me the pure emotional weight of that match depended heavily on sting's selling sting's character and he made me feel that match his exhaustion afterwards made it clear that he had pushed himself to his absolute limit even with a match left to go so it's a really impressive performance and um i i was i was really torn i i was That was Sting or Vader, obviously. Oh, no, yeah. But yeah, I just, I think I have to go with Sting on that. I felt his performance so much.
2: Yaydown there's a match like that, especially when it seems like we all sync up in agreement on it. There shouldn't be only one person that can be that.
0: Yeah, I I was glad when you guys chose Vader, it made it easier (laughs) for me to be like, no, I can pick Sting now because someone has said Vader.
2: (laughs) I wanted to pick him last year, just Battle Bowl wasn't enough for him. I yep. mean, it was either Vader or Eric Watts.
0: <laughs> yeah, is there something we can give Eric Watts, a uh, don't know,
1: memorable moment of the night, I guess?
0: Historical
2: moment? I don't know. But no, Sting would be a close second, so yeah. Sure. <laughs> In terms of what would make the best gif, most famous gif on the show, that Eric Watts dropping is a very famous gif.
0: Yeah. Yep, yeah. yep.
2: Yeah. The hop kick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a great name for the hop kick, yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to say one thing too on this Sting Vader match. It's an interesting example of how you shouldn't judge books and or matches by their covers, because you just tell someone, "Oh yeah, there's a match where it's Sting and Vader and, it, and the final the King of Hell tournament." People are like, "What the hell is a King of Hell tournament?" And yeah. That's not very interesting at all. So you could make any situation you're in the match that good if you're willing to do what they mm-hmm. did.
0: Absolutely. And I think Sting and Vader proved that time and time again in their careers. I was having that reaction like, oh, it's Sting versus Vader. I feel like that's going to be great, but it's also for this King of Cable thing. Is there anything weird going on with that? What's what's that about it? And then I watched that match. I was absolutely blown away. Yeah. And that wraps up our review of Starcade 92 Battle Bowl, the Lethal Lottery 2. Electric Boogaloo.
2: Sisters as a werewolf.
0: If you've enjoyed listening to us tonight, you can search for us on Twitter or Facebook as Let's Go to the Ring. Follow us for episode announcements and other show details, and share your own thoughts about the StarCades as we go through. And please, if you've enjoyed this show, give us a nice review on iTunes, and share the show through your favorite social media platforms to help others discover us. Many thanks to OSW Review for attendance and pay-per-view figures. Join us next time for Starcade 93, 10th Anniversary, as WCW celebrates with the return of Mr. Starcade himself, Ric Flair, and we celebrate being done with Battle Bowls. For Starcade, anyway. Yeah. This is Bob Moore for Alec Pigeon and John Mullins, signing off. Good night, everybody.
2: Happy wrestling.
1: And sleep. <laughs>
0: Wow, I really typed that. I typed Windham shoves shoves Muda to the corner to tag out to Muda. (laughs) Okay.